Welcome back to We Want More, the Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality Analysis podcast. God, I always stammer at that part. I'm your host, Stephen Zuber, and with me, as always, is my co-host... Brian Deacon. Hello, everybody. Hey, man. You're not everybody. Uh, I'm one of everybody. That's true. So, yeah. what'd you think of 72 and 73? Uh, the word that keeps coming to my mind again is uh, swashbuckling. It doesn't seem like the right word, but yeah. Action-packed. Yeah, it's just yeah, like a, this is like the, um, it's, it feels like, like a side interlude of just, uh, like you said, action yeah, scenes action with, scenes. with other characters. These are cool. These are kind of fun. And they're like a nice break from like, we kind of get out of people's heads. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's funny. I think I, I'll probably mention this one or two more times during this whole arc, but when these were coming out the first time, I was super annoyed with them because I really wanted... I, I, you know what? I mentioned this a couple of times, so I'll skip it. But that said, now that I get to binge through them... Well, but this or, was after know, a long break? Is that, I think that's what yeah, you said. Months yeah, months and months between a lot of these. Um, and I, when we get to 73, I think it had been... I had it up last time, but whatever it was, it was like months, maybe uh, the better part of a year between 72 and 73. And so when 73 opens, it kind of feels like uh, like this flashback montage that would look awesome during uh, like a you know, TV show or something. Or re- returning from an off-season. Yeah, exactly. Definitely the phrase, Eliza Yudkowsky is not your bitch, was used, I imagine. Uh, oh, did I just use a nerd reference you didn't get? Sweet. I'm afraid so. That's, now uh, you got to explain George, I guess, you know, actually, I haven't read any George R. R. Martin, but I guess he was famous for... Uh, taking way too long on well i guess it like he just finished the um song with song of ice of the game of thrones series oh um, i didn't know i thought that he was yeah there was like a long maybe so that like that's the thing is that uh he hasn't been putting them out as fast as the fans would would like them like him to and people started bitching and then famously it was neil gaiman posted somewhere where other people had been bitching saying that george rr R. martin is not your bitch and basically like <laughs> he will he will publish them when he fucking feels like it so, yeah i've got to imagine that would be like a a bitter like an like an awesomely terrible spot to be as an author like on the one hand you've got a yeah. fan base that is screaming at you because they love your stuff so much they, they need more of it but on the other side, you're just like, I need to have my like creative time to get all this stuff out, <coughs> articulate. Yeah, I think like I think by the time like that happened, George R. R. Martin was like already in the NFL of fantasy writers, so he was already having first world problems. <laughs> first first world author first, problems. First world author problems. Oh, speaking of, speaking of Game of Thrones, it's a little tie-in. I was uh, Google stalking Tonks um, just because I recalled that the actress that played her in the movie was hot. Um, and she was in Game of Thrones. I forgot. And then I recognized, I'm like, oh, I totally remember that character. I'm sure everybody listening already knew this, but I just found out this morning. Who was she uh, in Game of Thrones? She was the wildling. I don't remember that character's name. She was the wildling that basically like took care of Bran Stark as they were kind of stomping across the wilderness. That's right. Um, Yeah. And then once you see her, you're like, oh yeah, that's totally her. But it was like a very different vibe to the character. So yeah, I hadn't seen the movies in a long time, but that, yeah, I'm definitely able to put the two and two together now yeah and then i was like digging through her imdb history she's done like this is like totally unimportant stuff but she's like uh raised in england but with spanish parents so she's like speaks spanish she's done some like um several spanish language movies and nothing else that big though from what i've seen 
Well, I imagine <laughs> being cool. in Game of Thrones and Harry Potter. I'm not sure what it, what you get for being like a tertiary character, but it's probably nothing to sneeze at. So yeah, and cool characters. So that's true. Another one cool. Yeah. All right. So what, what what's going on? Where did, when we last left our heroes? When we last left um, our heroes, Hermione and the gang were trying to find ways to uh, track down and stomp on bullies. That's right. Um, I like it's sort of funny that like we have this kind of this like generic concept of bully, and then these you know sort of uh, random extras of characters going in to fulfill the role of stereotypical bully. Um, it totally works. It's not. It's just sort of funny, like in retrospect. You know, yeah, like, it, it couldn't be more stereotype. Yeah, like in, in the credits, they would just be bully number one and bully number two. And in fact, even in the in the story, at some point, one of them is like, you know, this is quite easy. Yes, I'm a bully. I'm You're a my bully. victim. Yeah. I'm going to bully you. Yeah. And it's just it's obvious bait, but it's it's funny. There was the other like kind of meta thing about this that I, you know, Hermione's goal at the start of this wasn't to like you know stop bullies in Hogwarts. It was to be a hero, quote unquote, yeah. whatever whatever that means. And I like that this is this is her goal for now, which is like, well, I'm not going to be a hero by, I guess, defeating the next Dark Lord at 11 or 12, mm-hmm. how old she is. So I'm going to I'm going to fight bullies in Hogwarts with my little ragtag group of ruffians. <laughs> I'm sort of anticipating like a very like Hermione has been very good um, being a Hermione kind of hero. But I think this like running around and beating up bullies is sort of on its own kind of not a very Hermione way to be a hero. So I'm sort of like anticipating like a less, you know, overt, like a less aggressive way of being a hero sort of in a way that sort of like lets us think about, well, what does it mean? Um, I'm just picturing her like starting a study group for people yes. who are struggling with their classes. Heroically start. Yeah, that's the, uh, what the John Mulvaney definition of a hero. A hero is a person doing their regular job. <laughs> um, well, it's not Hermione's job to help people study, but exactly. she she likes doing it. So well, she doesn't count as a hero then. Yeah, I I'm not sure. Maybe unless she's tutoring tots. That's right. Or angels. Angels. <laughs> angels are tots who died, right? Thought, yes. If anyone's not familiar, yes. this is from John Mulaney's. Is it New in Town? I think it. I don't remember which one it was. Maybe I think it was New in Town, his first Netflix special, which was awesome. And I'm New in Town. I'm guessing right. Um. I'm trying to think of like, you know, maybe it's the the role model she's had for heroing, you know, reading, you know, fantasy books and mm-hmm. I guess history books of Wizarding World that like it's not heroing unless you're stomping the bad guys down. Yeah. And it sort of feels like this is us kind of like the story is kind of following along with like working through the idea of like, well, what is a hero? And like it seems and that kind of fits with the way that like these bad guys are, you know, very, you know, capital B bad, capital G guys or bad guys and girls. Um, that folks but they were sort of like like she is doing the very kind of unimaginative version of and the, and they and they were kind of like groping around for well what do heroes do well let's like figure out hero shit to do so it feels like we're sort of like working through that idea but I, yeah i, I, I kind of like to see hermione kind of go like okay this is a dumb game um <laughs> like i don't want to be playing this game let's we can do this better uh that would be the that would be the hermione way to, to go about it a hero chooses to run towards their problems and not away from them yeah, but yeah, just sort of like, but probably doesn't mean like, oh, let's go look for problems so we can go be heroes. Um, no, I just meant that was the, that's what Thor yeah, said. Yeah. So yeah, uh, did you do your required reading and watch Thor Ragnarok I, again? I did, but, uh, oh, and I saw um, Knives Out on recommendation. That was quite good. Oh, nice. Um, 
I love that movie. It was really good. It was really sort of like well started. I, uh, <laughs> tangent. Um, the uh, was it a play? It totally fits as like a thing that could have been a play. I am not like, sure. It definitely has that vibe, but yeah. I I got the I impression it that it was a semi original thing. Yeah. Um, that was a time. Oh yeah, and so I was wondering, like, is this like the beginning of this? I, I think, and that would start out with sort of like the first Scooby Doo scenes, or no, probably like when Hermione, like at first. Uh, when uh, Fox sort of uh, will-o'-wisped her towards some bullies. Like, this is sort of the first, like, starting there and then continuing through this, I think is the first time we've had these sort of, you know, action scenes involving Hermione. It's always been um, Harry's stuff up till now, hasn't it? I'm trying to think. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I guess that sort of fits with, like, okay, now Hermione's trying on the hero costume, almost literally, but... She gets to see. How oh, yeah. Did you uh, did you catch that too? We'll get up to it. But there was like a a uh, you know a f- going to all the trouble of specifically describing I can't you know interchangeable other sidekick heroes. Uh, she got a hero costume and you know a skirt and you know just the such and such a colors and blah blah blah. And then like and by the way, she's hanging upside down. I'm like, wait, she's in a skirt and hanging upside down. Is it? Wait, what? And no, I couldn't tell. Like, was that on purpose? Was that like an oversight? Was like, well, then wouldn't her like we'd be checking out what kind of underwear she was wearing? I, I'm guessing it's like, like what a overlooked like tennis players wear, where it's like the it's a skirt. Yeah, Scort. and and I don't watch a lot of tennis, but I do Superhero watch a lot Scort. of. Uh, there's a wonderful show called uh, Holy Moly, which is the r- ridiculously convoluted miniature golf courses hosted by Rob Riggle, and uh, they all the women competitors have like the skirt or I guess not all of them, but many of them have like the skirt and then whatever that under skirt thing that preserves modesty without showing your underwear. Oh, uh, what the hell is this called? Uh, Blanking. Uh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I'm not a fashion person. In any case, I'm betting that's what she's wearing. So, yeah, it seemed weird because it was like both of those things that sort of went a little bit of extra effort to describe them in a little bit more detail. I'm like, wait, that doesn't work. <laughs> it's a high school girl. You're sick. It's, but, it's a, it's a, 11 or 12 year old oh yeah 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 it goes keep always nobody's ever nobody ever sort of plays like the ages that they're supposed to be so yeah they'll feel like they're in high school yeah oh last last uh deep tangent on knives out so like the little young nazi kid uh yeah and then chris evans right yeah he if anyone hasn't seen knives out check it out it's delightful it was good it was was so like a well-structured you know carefully crafted yeah, and, and just like uh, Daniel Craig says in his like hilarious Southern drawl accent, that doesn't <laughs> say this is a donut within a donut, <laughs> and it's so it's it's a mystery inside of a I mystery de- movie. I it's declare, great. I declare. Um, anyway, so that that little Nazi kid and Captain America are both in a TV show called Defending Jacob, which is on Apple TV. Is that what it's called? What Apple um, Play? Whatever Apple streaming service is. The first couple episodes are free that, on that, um, whatever if you have the app. And it's a lot of fun. I the, saw the first the bit, couple episodes you, last the bit night. Torrent source material, you mean? Uh, I, I could ne- I could never confirm nor deny that I have uh, sailed the high seas to acquire the rest <laughs> of the show. <laughs> yes. All right. Intellectual so, property. <laughs> I mean, on the one hand, I feel bad with uh, hypothetically pirating stuff because, like, the creators worked on it; they should get paid for it. But I'd also don't want to sign up for a streaming service that I'm going to use twice. Yeah, it seems like, like we're, in, we're in this weird spot where like everybody is 
started to like, oh, we'll just sort of balkanize this whole market and create 10 different streaming services. That's what I sort of like went back as like when everything became like easy to pay for. I'm like, you know what? I don't like need to rip off the man so badly that I'm going to, you know, uh, begrudge somebody the five bucks to watch this thing. But then, then they got back to like, OK, we're all going to have our own individual streaming service and intentionally like scarcify anything you might want to watch. So you have to use our thing. I'm like, yeah, I'm done. Fuck off. So. Yeah, I think what I would like to do, and you can do this if you buy DVDs, but I don't have a DVD player in any room that doesn't have a video game console in it. But like, I would like to be able to pay two or three bucks an episode for shows I like, and mm-hmm. that is an option on a couple things. So um, anyway, it's like most of the time that is the case. But yeah, well, I, I mean, like while it's coming problem, out, I, I used to work for Movies Anywhere, which is like the canceled Disney idea of. Yet another streaming service, and it was again them like creating the problem so that they could sell you the solution to it. Because then they like yanked all their shit off of everybody else's, so that you'd have to go and buy theirs. But you know how? So you said yet another streaming service. I think Yes would be a great yeah. name for a streaming service. Yes, and that would be a commercial. Yes, just like a YAML, yet another markup language. Yes, exactly. It's perfect. The cool thing was there was there was this little while where I had our little app on our phone and because they were a combination of like the big five studios, which people think there are many, many studios. There's really five studios that go by different names. But um, I had basically pretty much every movie ever made ever. Hmm. Um, I could, it was weird. Like, yeah. I mean, you go on Netflix or you go to like some major thing you're like, oh, wow, there's a lot of movies here. It was, it was more like, oh, I cannot think of a movie that I can't find on here. And it would like break our app because nobody's supposed to have like every movie purchase so it would scroll through like it'd take 500 movies that you would get through before you would get through the ones that start with numbers and you'd get to the letter a <laughs> Jeez, that's pretty cool yeah. all right well all right so that, we, i mean we're we warmed up the mics. that's good yeah i think and you know part of the the fun of rambling at the beginning is that we're recording on saturday which means it's been almost two weeks since our last recording so that's true. you got to get back in the groove you know We've got all, I have all of these tangents built up that need to get out. Exactly. They're just, they, they pent up in me and they got to get out <laughs> in some way. So we open up with what you thought was a hilariously bad paragraph. So, Oh, uh, yes. I, I spontaneously, organically was reminded of the famous Snoopy slash Bulwer Lytton um, introductory paragraphs. So the real one is, which I could, and reading like the, first part of this long ass run on sentence i'm like oh it's actually like sort of like really nice flowery flowery language he's actually pretty good at it sometimes but i mean it says the winter sun had well set by the time dinner ended and so it was amid the peaceful light of stars twinkling down from the enchanted ceiling of the great hall that hermione left for the ravenclaw tower alongside her study partner harry potter who lately seemed to have a ridiculous amount of time for studying it took me like four breaths to read that sentence um <laughs> But the, uh, oh, I just lost where I kept it in my notes. Uh, so I'm like, oh, that sounded like the Dark and Stormy Night. The, the, where the people that do recognize this will usually recognize it from is it was the, whenever Snoopy was sitting on top of his doghouse with his typewriter in front of him, uh, the first uh, words he would type would be, it was a dark and stormy night. Uh, and that uh, is now a famously bad introductory paragraph to writing. Um, it was a dark and stormy night. The rain fell in tor- torrents, except at occasional intervals when it was checked by a violent gust of wind, which swept up the streets, open parentheses, for it is in London that our scene lies, close parentheses, rattling along the housetops and fiercely agitating the scanty flames of the lamps that struggled against the darkness. Um, yeah, that's got like, I think, all the punctuation in it. Do we have yes, we've got dashes, we've got semicolons, we've got parentheses and commas. Doesn't have quotes, well, but uh, maybe the next sentence starts with a quote. 
next time. Yeah, and maybe it's I'm just bad at reading. Like to me, that uh, it sounds cliche because I've heard that that opening line a bunch of times, but it doesn't strike me as bad writing. Like it paints a picture somewhat in my head. That's all that I really need. I think the boomerang that sticks. I, I think it's maybe not the only thing that people like criticize about it, but to me, it's sort of like the the guy just could not land the plane with that sentence. He's keep, I kept sort of being impressed with the combinations of words he could come up with, and then like the wheels fall off the wagon when he decides that a parenthetical is a good idea. So yeah, that's a, and that was also all one sentence. You're right. You don't need forties in London that are seen lies. I like, know, right? Exactly. Th- th- that's how you write. It's like, just a lack uh, of organizing uh, your thoughts. That's like a more personal way of writing something. That's not you start a story, right? You have some exposition at some point that's organically baked in to say this is London. You know, yes. name a landmark or whatever. Anyway, so it was a it dark and stormy. Bad. It was a dark and stormy night in London. Yeah. Yeah, that, that yeah. would be fun, right? Anyway. Yeah. So, uh, like yeah. the, the, the next one was that uh, Harry, oh yeah, you said Harry had a lot of time for ridiculous yeah, time for studying. The, the takeaway from that sentence being a reminder that Harry has had his uh, circadian rhythm extended to 30 hours. And his time turner, oh yeah, so it still unlocks at the same time, I think, but yeah. now he uses it for six hours a day, which, man, or, yeah. it. I guess like it makes sense not to give every asshole in school a time turner, but like... Because, you know, well, now that it, we're saying all, that math, because like six hours was the kind of like the quote limit on on his time turning in a day, wasn't it? And that's like the math we've been working with the whole time. I hadn't stuck that together because isn't, weren't we told in the beginning, like his clock is a 26 hour day? Yeah. So he was using it. He was supposed to be using it for two hours a day. And then on the days where he would cheat and use it more, he would be oh, so tired like, earlier and getting up earlier. Uh, so it's like, oh, you're supposed to use it for two, but we're going to let it go up to six. Yeah, we're going to – it was some potion or something to increase his uh, uh, sleep cycle to 30 hours. No, but before we did this, didn't he had – or am I just misremembering? I thought, like, didn't – wasn't he able to go back up to six hours in a single day? Yeah, that was the max that he could do. But then he'd be oh, tired exactly. at, you know, exactly. 7 p.m. or whatever. So, like, the intent was that he would do two, but he could do up to six. Yeah, and I think that that's, that's the actual – limitation on time turners i think because you know it it is it is one of those like policing the uh the plot but if you could just stand there for an hour and you know smack your time turner over and over and go back two weeks then you could you know just completely ruin uh that that's way too much time travel for a story right you go you go buy lottery tickets exactly (laughs) i just read like conspiracy theory uh the lottery is designed to trap time travelers (laughs) (laughs) In the that's probably why they don't have a lottery in magical London. Yeah, there you go. Um, anyway, so then it it kind of has like this. Let, do they have to have we had any uh, gambling uh, in the plot of any of the Harry Potter movies? That that would be a problem as well. It seems like it would be like just way too easy to, yeah. to cheat it, even it all on black. time turner. Yeah. yeah, put it all in black and then you know tweak let your magic to have the die land a certain way. Mm-hmm. No, you just watch it, write it all down, and then come back an hour later. Yeah, but I mean, even without time travel, you can just yeah. you know move the oh, die with your mind. We could we could hand wave some magic at that. Uh, it's not possible to blah blah blah. Yeah, if you try and use wandless magic on it, then it, they turn bright red and a siren goes off, and you get struck okay. by lightning or some nonsense. No, and then the uh, the wizard version of mob goons, which I guess would be kind of crab and goyle, but <laughs> right, they come in and they they launch, they defenestrate you out of the casino. Yeah, you probably get launched out of skylight or something. Yeah. Oh, that's All right. They, they can magic your shit out. All right, we're like a paragraph. Uh, 
and then four tangents per paragraph. This could be a while. So, yeah. So Hermione's asking, like, why'd you do that? And he's like, do what? And why didn't you just tell them no? And it's kind of giving this, like, I don't know what you call that, like, after the fact explanation of what just happened. Yeah. And I, I like this line, and I should have just been saying this the whole time, because like we talked about a few weeks ago, you're not asking me as many questions as you used to. Mm-hmm. But when he did, I should have just always said, I can neither confirm nor deny <laughs> whatever you just said. I, I, think, I, think, I think you have a couple times. Oh, good. I think it was until that, when, until uh, somebody gave you the better line of, that's clearly the most important part of the story. Yes, that was awesome. More solid. Um, this one, again, though, like it's so reminded. Yeah, so Hermione says, like, you know, when they said, oh, are you talking to the ghost of Salazar Slytherin? Why didn't you just say no? Um, and he's sort of giving me like, well, if I just say no, whenever it's actually no, then I can't. This is the, the same rule by which I never talk about my work publicly. Um, <laughs> but, you know, if I just say no, then I can't ever like not say no or say yes, because you'll be able to triangulate on my meaning. So I have to bluff every once in a while. Um, but this like did make me wonder, cause I've sort of, I've been bringing this up, you know, several times is just sort of me commenting on the quirkiness of the style of writing, um, of being kind of, you know, overly fixated on things that are technically true or, you know, people keeping promises or not being willing to, to, to break promises or that, oh, I can just make this assumption that this person wouldn't literally lie to me. Um, when I'm like, you know what, that, like all of people can just straight up lie, be deceptive. Um, but like, so this has been coming up like so many times now that I'm now starting to wonder like, is this here on purpose? Uh, and is there going to be some kind of significance to this later of like things being literally true or that wasn't exactly what he's saying here, but it seems like, and I don't know if it's just me like that's different, but like every time something like this comes up, it strikes me as weird. Like why? And it's sort of like it just kind of fits with Harry's sort of like overly literal um, way of looking at everything. But um, it's been like such a repetitive theme that now I'm wondering if like what the, there's going to be some significance. And it's made me sort of think back, like has there been any significance so far around things that are like the difference between literally true, but deceptive versus, you know, actually true um, versus just straight up lying. Cause that, I mean, there has been like serious straight up lying and, and even Coral has said like, you have to just straight up lie if anybody asks you about this, but I don't know, like this idea has been coming up so many times and now I'm starting to wonder if it's not a coincidence from up That's here on the, on the ladder of paranoia. No, I like that. I think there's a couple mundane explanations. One is that like, um, Harry just seems to not like lying. Yeah. Uh, when Coral said, you'll have to flat out lie about this. He mentioned that was a price measured in a fraction of Harry's soul or something. Yeah. And, in the first week when he gave that apology for ruining yeah, potions lesson, he said that, you know, my, one of my most important possessions is a button that says, speak the truth, even if your voice trembles. And I think that it's like, Harry doesn't, as, as a person, doesn't like lying straight out, which, you know, I don't know how you don't like lying straight out, but you do like uh, lying through truths. But Yeah, that's the part, like, and that seems sort of like the thing conspicuously missing from like the way Harry thinks about it is like he almost thinks like in my head, the technically true, but misleading is even worse than an actual lie because you're also lying to yourself about whether or not it counts. Um, but like that doesn't even seem to like factor in ever for him. I think the other thing is that like there's a, co- there's a reputational cost to being discovered lying mm-hmm. that if you, if someone says, Oh man, we caught him dead to rights. He was lying about this. Then suddenly you're an untrustworthy person. Yeah. But I don't but- know. It's, for you, if like if you're just anybody you have that kind of same interaction with and you're like doing that kind of 
reputation math in your head. To me, if I caught somebody just straight up lying, that's not good, but like 25% worse is I caught you bullshitting me, like trying to ride the line of quote technically <laughs> true, because that means you like put some serious thought into this and you're totally cool with being, you know, deceptive. And like, you know, that that's extra effort to figure out how can I deceive them while also being technically correct so I can, you know, weasel out of this later. Like to I me, think, like that, I just trust that even more. Yeah, no, I totally hear you. I think what this maintains is that if you if you do lie through, you know, half-truths like that, then in the event that, again, you have a reputation as a non-liar, then if you say something straight out, people will believe you. And so sure, if you're being evasive or whatever, then people can... Uh, whatever run run wild with that but if they if if you're asked a direct question and you just tell the they they, they and you answer directly mm-hmm. they can infer that you're telling the truth based on the fact that you're not a historically a lying person but yeah I'm, I'm with you it does seem like i'm going with my other two explanations that you know harry just yeah. doesn't like lying and this is slightly less uncomfortable for him so yeah. and this one isn't quite like this just sort of like got near that subject but it, like it just reminded me of it and um, but it also seems like so. Oh, that's true. But like that, that like nuance to the whole thing doesn't. I haven't ever heard Harry considering that. Um, that just seems to kind of go unquestioned for him. Good point. Yeah. And you know, maybe the the meta like narrative explanation for it is that like if if the I'm trying to think of a good example, but nothing's really coming to mind. I don't know if like the the big twist or whatever was like oh sure i told you that and you're trying to like you know build this puzzle or solve this mystery mm-hmm. and then like the twist was like oh yeah i was just lying to you yeah. like that that's not a very like thrilling payoff and so i i yeah it's weird. Having I mean, difficulty articulating exactly what that is but yeah no i think i think I what you mean but i guess like my kind of not my response so much but like my the thought that, that i jumped to on that is if that whole like you know, resolution of that conflict hinged on the distinction between deceptive but technically true and just a straight up lie. And that's a pretty like lame, you know, technicality of a resolution to whatever that conflict was. But I mean, it may be more than like, I mean, it's what I'm wondering is that if it's something more meta about not so much maybe necessarily about like, oh, what is the nature of the truth or blah, 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 but kind of more meta about like the idea of technically true versus, you know, um, sincere versus deceptive, but I don't know. It's it's also some, like the other thing that makes me wonder. Like, okay, maybe this is just a total red herring. Is it seems like this is kind of unquestioned by anybody, good or bad, in this story. So it just may be that this is. Um, I mean, it's, and it's not very like um, out of character for a you know uh, a Reddit grown. Like again, I say Reddit as just a shorthand for that whole kind of um scrutiny of an audience that uh, can be less than forgiving like that is a it, it fits with that whole like ticky tack going after every little detail that um i mean it may so it may not be a you know a comment on anything at all it just may be like that's the air we breathe um uh, i think also maybe, maybe there's like a more wizarding norm around it because they they live in a world with mind readers and truth potions and this and that yeah so and maybe even almost literally like like i don't know this is kind of a stretch but just like literal words have meaning like the tone with which you say wingardium leviosa like the technicalities on those things like matter in a more like concrete way and maybe that just sort of like generalizes into you know how people think about like the literal syntax of the shit that comes out of their mouth right I really like that. That's awesome. Yeah. I, uh, I wonder, like, you, you probably couldn't cast Wingardium Leviosa if you were saying those words, but trying to, like, 
you know, use the freezing charm or something, yeah. right? Um, that's really funny. Yeah. yeah, that's meh. I like that. Yeah. As we, and as we're like talking this out, I'm realizing that I think probably the reason this clicks more, not clicks, but like, you know, rings a bell more for me is. Like I have like a serious, but it manifests itself mostly in my like visceral hatred of advertising, like something that claims to be one thing, but is actually another um, in a way that, you know, in a, in that sort of gaslighting sense of the thing, um, just like causes me this weird kind of low level anxiety that just bugs the shit out of me. Um, <laughs> so that's what I mean. Of like, oh yeah, technically true, but still deceptive, like totally pushes that button for me. Um that was part of like the religious experience I had like 20 years ago after getting TiVo and realizing what advertising does to our brains, the constant barrage of bullshit we're subjected to. I'm like, yeah. Oh my God, you've laid eggs in our brains and we don't even know it. It's so weird. Like visiting my parents' house and they'll have the TV on and then watching a 20 minute show. That's 10 minutes of commercials. I know you can like, it even breaks in. Like you can hear it in the tones of voices. And, um, I have I, the, uh, I had one of those weird, <clears throat> Whenever a fan running in my house, uh, it would do that weird, like it broadcasts, I don't know if it's FM, AM, but it would actually like pick up radio signal and I would get this like very, either that or I'm schizophrenic, but I would get these like, I, it was picking up like, like public radio and kind of randomly and I, whatever it is, apparently like the frequency it picks up is like affected by the speed of the fan or something, but it would be one of those, like, it's, there's the noise of a fan. So, I mean, you mostly just hearing that but then there's like a slight you know whatever radio program it's picking up is this like sort of undercurrent of this noise you're hearing and it's never like intelligible enough that you can make it out but you could like hear tone you could hear like a lot of the time it was just like this you know craptastic music unrecognizable but then you could hear that there were voices talking and they were telling me to kill no um <laughs> but no you could hear it so like you could tell when it was advertising going on there's this weird kind of like frantic anxiety intentionally anxiety inducing tone to the way people talk that just like uh just grates on my nerves so i was probably pushing those, that button like when i was a kid i remembered that would happen a lot. I'm not sure if it was auditory hallucinations from watching too much TV or if I was getting something like what you're describing. It hadn't occurred to me that it might actually be whatever the fan yeah. of my room or something like that. It really that. was. like, it was, but, And it was so subtle. It was the kind of thing like, okay, this could completely be in my head. I don't think I ever seriously worried. I think because the content was always random and meaningless, but was never worried about, oh, am I having an auditory hallucination? But it, And it took a while for me to realize like, oh, it's always when the fan's on. Um, I, I think it might have just been the white noise filling up in my, you know, then my brain generating yeah. something, something around it. But I remember that, you know, a couple times in my childhood, I'd get up, like, to go turn off the TV in the living room because I thought it was on and it wasn't. And then I'd yeah. go back to bed and I could still hear it. But anyway, we need to we need to talk about the book. <laughs> um, sort of, kind of, maybe. Yeah, a little um, bit. But, uh, so, yeah. Um, so that, yeah, so Harry and so Harry does that thing about, well, you know, um, I can't let people, you know, figure, I can't give too many ways to triangulate into what's really going on. And that kind of turns into a, you know, conversation about, you know, Hermione trying to be a hero and what that has been like to Harry. And I can't remember now, like how that came, who initially made the point about the amount of basically help Harry gets in being a hero um, because he's the boy who lived and everybody that he interacts with is sort of prime to, okay, Harry's going to be the protagonist in whatever story is going on here um and harry kind of and i like this another sort of way that this like new harry um being like way less grandiose and things being way less about him 
but he sort of acknowledges he's like yeah i totally been getting like help like everybody is totally on board with this sort of idea of i'm the savior of humanity um and i've been getting help left right and center and it's totally not fair and so the the quote i pulled about that um, was, you know, Hermione, the boy said quietly, as though to make sure that nobody else in the world heard. I think you're right. I think some people get a lot more help than others in becoming heroes, and I don't think that's fair either. Um, <clears throat> and I saw, it's, it's sort of like a weird, like all of this sort of meta idea about like being a hero. Um, but I sort of like the very, almost a, the very Hermione way Harry has been more where it has been way less about what does it mean, but what does it say about me as Harry Potter, the boy who lived? And it's been way more about, you know, shit's going down and apparently this is all falling in my lap to deal with it. Um, but yeah, it also made and, me, go ahead. I was going to say, and Harry at the end of, so he says that before offering the invisibility cloak. And then after yeah. that, you know, she's trying to say no. And he's like, look. There's nothing the least bit fair about me finding this literally gift wrapped on like my first day of school yeah. or something and you not getting one like that. That's a boost up in all of this hero business that I got that you didn't. Yeah, exactly. Um, it made me wonder. So that whole like conversation it made me wonder like that all makes sense in the context of us having read everything and just sort of the meta that we know this is Harry Potter. Um but it made me wonder, like, what do publicly, like, because he's talking about all the help he gets and sort of like the perception of everybody around him as him being the hero. Like, what is the, like, what is and is not known publicly about everything going on with Harry? Because um, it sort of made me wonder, like, to the, like, average person uh, involved with Harry, if you don't, how much, if you don't know the whole inside story, how much of a hero does Harry look like? And I guess the big one is just, he is the boy who lived and that's kind of, that's going to be the, that's how everybody like understands, you know, what he is in the cosmos anyway. But, um, but like for us, everything we've been following, there's a lot of way more like happening right now, important shit going on. Um, but it occurred to me that that's not visible to most people, even like Dumbledore probably has the most visibility on it, but even he doesn't know the, you know, everything going on. Um, yeah. There's, there's some level of like, you know, information leaking out. Like Lucius yeah. said something when they met the train station, like my reports say this or something. Mm -hmm. So I mean, Lucius is getting weekly reports on <laughs> the boy who lived, you know, the community at large knows that somehow this magic baby destroyed the, the dark lore that had been terrorizing yeah. our country for a decade. And then everyone in Hogwarts knows that the boy who lived can do whatever he wants by snapping his fingers, right? Oh, so yeah, he, that's true. Yeah, so he's, he's, kind of he's yeah, he's cultivated this air of like someone omnipotence, where you know when he left the potions class, he slammed the door, snapped his fingers, and then boom, he's gone. Yeah, and, and there's been like ten years of like everybody knows, and I, I, you know, I think like that phrase of the boy who lived happened, you know, very quickly like he was that immediately even still as an infant that like the concept of the boy who lived existed and then there's that you know like 10 years of a vacuum of information about him so like all the public can do is start making up more and more ridiculous shit about you know what does it mean what you know what is harry potter and so that would just keep getting more and more out there so i get yeah he totally would just become this completely unrealistic outsized you know the idea of harry potter is not at all the actual harry potter yeah, and you got to think too, like if it was Ron who, you know, left potions class by slamming a door and snapping his fingers, mm -hmm. people would be just blown out of the water. Like, what the hell's going on here? How'd this guy do that? But yeah. Harry is like already in this weird class that people think of as like, uh, whatever yeah. the 
the higher echelon of mystery and magic or something, right? Yeah, and everybody's already primed to interpret it. The confirmation bias, as the rationalist would say, like any little thing he does like that, people are like already willing to interpret it, you know, in a way to fit that boy who lived mold. Yeah, and so back to this, he's he's talking about how it wasn't, you know, hey, you know what? It's not fair that uh, I got more help than others, and then he says to his pouch invisibility cloak and then hermione just says bleep question <laughs> which is really funny that was delivered really well in the audiobook um and he's like don't worry they're so rare that no one bothered to make a, a school rule against them and then i like this too he says i did not give you but i did not give you but loan you my cloak <laughs> to hermione jean granger protect her well and he's talking to it like it's a thing mm-hmm. and, or like a you know it is a thing like like it's like it's listening yeah and we know that he's doing that because he's not uh i don't there might be some magic involved that he's unaware of yeah that's not established I mean, like none of that was established because that sort of like feels like kind of wand rules about who does a wand belong to and but that that hasn't been a thing we haven't had any of that established about the cloak have we i don't think we have not quite we know that it's been passed down through his family since it was created mm-hmm. Um, we know that he like mastered the cloak by uh, understanding what it means to hide from death. And so he's he's got an extra special relationship with it, but it's not clear to me that. um, Yeah. It's mostly just been a, like a family heirloom. Like there's sort of kind of no like important to the family and everything, but not any kind of magical, you know, meaning to what, to that being anything. And also, and he got this from Dumbledore. I guess we don't know that, but um but in the original, like Dumbledore gives it to him, right? Like, oh, this was your father's here. Take this. Yeah, I can't remember. I don't think it was signed to Dumbledore in the book. I, I don't I, think it was signed at all. I want to. I, I guess. Oh, I guess there was a thing of like, oh, Dumbledore now knows. I mean, it is here, but I, I guess there was a. Oh, Dumbledore now knows you have the invisibility cloak. I'm just like now. I'm remembering it as in the original that Dumbledore just straight up gave it to him as the like, oh, this was your father's, and I was like, this is your father's lightsaber. <laughs> um, I think that might have been it. I, may, can't uh, I may be conflating. Yeah, that. I know in this one it was Santa Claus, oh, yeah. and that might have been a play on how he got it for Christmas on oh, his yeah. first year. Uh, yeah, rather than first day. That. I keep. I want to make is Dumbledore Santa Claus is. I don't know though. Doesn't feel no. Cause talk no because Santa Claus talks shit about Dumbledore, right? Yeah. Um, Dumbledore would have to be playing 3D chess to talk yeah, shit about himself. Know, maybe he is, but I don't. And is Santa Claus Sith Kermit? Maybe <laughs> has he? Still, oh. these, there's these dangling threads. I think I'm still donut within, it on. It's a, it's it's a, a donut, donut within a donut. It's a donut hole within a donut. Yeah. Um, I don't, yeah. And like Dumbledore is still, I don't know, like the most important thing or whatever, but it's like the most, like, I, I have the least clue about what the fuck is going on with Dumbledore. So I'm still kind of fixated with that one. But, like, you can tell Love it's it. important, but I have like no, I mean, not no idea, but, you know, a lot of conflicting uh, input on. You know, where does Dumbledore fit in the whole, this whole thing? It's a it's a mystery, man. Yeah. Well, so what is it? Tell me. Oh, well, uh, Dumbledore is obviously uh, the... He's he's pretending to be Hagrid. He's pretending to be Voldemort, yeah. who's actually Professor Sprout this whole he's time. He's Morpheus. Yeah. Right. Yeah, he's, he's yeah. the one who's left the Matrix. Yes. I just watched that with my daughter last night. It seems like, you know, like any, nice. random, any random, like, bit of, you know, the main pantheon of, of nerd... Um, ties in well with HPMOR. <laughs> Maybe I'm biased. Like, oh, I'm he's, old, he's Neo. Harry is Neo. <laughs> I know it was weird when I when that came out. I'm like, Jesus Christ, this movie's 20 years old now. 
maybe if you it want. stands up pretty good yeah, but I think actually. I was going to say that I think 12 is a great age to watch it, but maybe I'm biased because that's around how old I was yeah. when I saw it. No, I think she liked it. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Anyway, so Hermione hymns and haws about it. And first of all, she's thinking like, wow, he's just like trying to give me this, you know, uh, this. She doesn't, you know, at this point yet suspect that it's the cloak of invisibility. Yeah. But um, she's like, wait, so that's how you disappeared from the potions closet. And then that time when. And then she, then her voice trailed off because even even with an invisibility cloak, she still couldn't see how Harry had. And Harry just buffs his fingernails against his robes and artful nonchalance. <laughs> and he's like, "Well, he knew there had to be some trick, right?" Yeah. And now the heroine will mysteriously know where and when to find bullies, just like she had listened to the bullies planning it, even though no one her age could possibly have turned themselves invisible to spy on them. And then, <laughs> then then they have this nice grown up conversation about like because uh, Hermione says, look, I'm not really sure fighting bullies is such a good idea. And he says, because the other girls might get hurt. And she nods. And he, I like this thing about, well, that's their choice, just like it's yours. I decided not to do the obvious stupid thing and let, let everyone does in books and try to keep you safe and protected and helpless and have you get really angry at me and push me away and go off and fight on your own and get even more in trouble and then heroically pull through through it successfully, after which I'd finally have my epiphany and realize blah, 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 etc. Yeah. Um, I, I wonder like that whole thing, like if that fits into like that kind of recurring thing we've got about everybody thinking about like this whole world as a story, not so much like meta, like, oh, it actually is a story, but everybody thinking about, you know, life, you know, plays out like plots rather than, you know, random shit happens. Um, maybe, maybe Muggleborns are like way predisposed to that because being whisked off to a magical school as a child is like already a story. Uh, that's true. And if it, if it, you know, if they didn't read the Harry Potter books as kids, they read every other book where, you know, the young person gets whisked off into this world of fantasy and, and heavy stuff. And so to them, they're like, oh, my life is already a storybook. Right. And I guess they uh, and wizards have a, you know, more power available to them to make their lives like a story. But then again, it's I mean, and the nature of that whole thing is that, yes, you have more power to make your life like a story, but so does everybody else. And then you have everybody's conflicting stories trying, vying for dominance. And that's how shit gets random and meaningless is when everybody's story has to be a story, then nobody's story is a story. That's how it gets random, but not meaningless. That's how that, you well, know, yeah. that's how you realize that's the full yeah. meaning of everybody, right? Yeah. Well, and just not like, yeah, not that sort of like lame, you know, cliched kind of meaning, um, you know, where the, where the hero triumphs in the end and all that kind of stuff. Um, like that's that's what falls apart when it has to be, when it has to apply to everybody, then, you know, there are no Rosencrantz and Guildensterns as extras in your life. Everybody's the, everyone's the player character yeah, of their own story right exactly. that's what i always think about like during action movies like when they're running down the highway and you know cars or trucks and you know barreling past knocking all these vehicles mm-hmm. over and I'd like that'd be me in the you know if, if i lived in a story i'd just be one of the people that gets you know okay. run over by a semi when the hero is fighting on top fighting a robot on top of it or something right and all you were trying to do is get to your job interview which is like kind exactly. of a really big deal it's just not very exciting in a movie yeah <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so then Harry's like, look, if I can predict what I'm going to think later, I might as well go ahead and think think ahead, or I might as well go ahead and think it now. Anyway, my point is, you shouldn't smother your friends to keep them safe either. Just tell them up front it's predictably going to go horribly wrong, and if they still want to be heroines after that, fine. And then, like, and I, this is like the most Hermione and so relatable thing to say. She's like, Harry, I really, really, really don't want them getting hurt, <laughs> especially because something I started. And he's like, look, I'm pretty sure you did the right thing. I don't see what could realistically happen to them that would be worse for them in the long run than not trying. And that's that's a kind yeah. of, you know, nice meta thing to say. Like, you know, granted, 
I mean, so yeah, what could happen is they could get their asses beat somewhat somewhat severely, but not so severely that a night in the magical hospital wouldn't turn them around. Yeah. And I guess in Harry's view, that's not worse, or that's that's better than like not trying to do something, right? Yeah, and I think what his line was, I didn't pull it, pull the quote, but it was something like, you know, I mean, yes, they might get hurt, but isn't that better than being stuck? Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought that was, a, that was a good line too. I like just that like this whole conversation is again, very sort of like the new Harry, like this is a... All of this was a perfect opportunity for him to like puff his chest and, you know, mansplain what being a hero is. But he's, you know, being very like humble about it. And like this advice to Hermione is kind of at least it feel, feels to me like it's very much out of concern for Hermione. I'm um, like, this is again, like, you know, none of this is, you know, about Harry. Um, he's either thinking about like, this is the situation or this is about my friend Hermione. And like even this thing about like, you know, you can't be responsible for the outcome of other people's like, you know, informed decisions about what they're going to do. Like even that feels like that's, you know, coming out of concern for her and not about what does it mean for me to be the person giving this advice. Um, yeah. And you're right. He could have taken these opportunities to flex and be like, you know, I've been doing heroic oh, shit. As, yeah, as the boy and, who lived, let me explain to you that blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't bring any of that up, but she's thinking about it. And I like this moment a lot when Hermione's saying, like, what if they get badly hurt? And then she remembers hearing about how, like, on his first day before he cast his first spell, he was letting a sixth year bend his finger uh, back yeah. to break it. And then another thought came after that about Hannah and her delicate hands with the fingernails that she carefully painted in Hufflepuff yellow every morning, but it wasn't allowed to be imagined. And, like, that that's a very, like, visceral way of getting at it. You picture yeah. your, your friend with her little fingers that she paints every day, getting them broken by some asshole. Like that is, that is a horrific thought. And so yeah. saying that wasn't allowed to be imagined is just a good, you know, we've all had thoughts like that where they're scary uh, and you're like, Nope, shut that down. Terminate. <laughs> yeah. And that like, I, I mean, and you know, given Harry's advice that should, you know, shouldn't factor into it, but it does kind of give you that, you know, raw feeling around, Oh, that is not a, like that is a hardcore thing that Harry chose to do in that moment as his own choice but that is not a like that's so bad that like clearly this is not a choice you could ever make for somebody even if like you've decided that you know that's the right thing to do that is you know way too big a cost for you know somebody has to choose that actively on their own and that kind of is the point but like it sort of you know brings that in of, and you, so you can kind of you know understand Hermione's hesitation around the whole thing is like oh that's pretty like if you can then you know picture somebody else uh you know getting there finger broken while having to just sort of like know it's coming and and you know walk through the experience you're like oh yeah that's you know you can't you can't choose to do that for somebody yeah and the the hard part maybe this is the you know heroic thinking that harry uh skipped ahead to thinking about and he's trying to talk hermione into is that you also can't make the decision for someone not to have that happen yeah you know if, yeah. if they if they're choosing to put themselves in harm's way to you know make the world a better place you can't say no no it's dangerous you got to stay safe yeah, I mean you can, but uh, Harry's philosophy is that you shouldn't, and that it's pointless to try. Um, I like that. And she says, "What if you're wrong?" And he says, "He he pauses for a moment, it. then shrugs a little sadly, and says, What if I'm right?'" Yeah, you know. Yeah, and I like that. And then she he goes to hand her the cloak, and um, is this where she'd already grabbed it? I forget. Uh, oh yeah, no, she's so gonna like hand it back to him, but he like won't take it from her. Well, she has that, that thing when she grabs it, like he's going to like, he just drops it like, cause he mm -hmm. thinks that she's going to oh, catch yeah. it. And then she grabs it. And then she feels like that, oh, like yeah. that music in the back of her head that Dumbledore described when he was the like, I feel the magic off. of it. Yeah. yeah. 
And then she says, no, I, I don't think it's right to spy on people because that's what Hermione would say. And he's like, <laughs> not even unknown bullies to rescue their victims. Uh, and I, I'm sympathetic to that. Uh, you know, spying is wrong, but so is so is bullying. Yeah. And so if you're if you're measuring two wrongs, uh, you know, eavesdropping is less bad than uh, someone getting bullied. And he says he hasn't been bullied, but he's been through a realistic simulation, which was his <laughs> getting his ass whooped in class. And then he says, have you ever been bullied? And she says, no, in a quiet voice. And then she's, yeah, she's trying to hand the cloak back to him. And then he's like, all right, fine. He takes it back. And then she says, uh, that's not the cloak of invisibility, is it? The one we read about in the library on page 18 of Paula Vieira's <laughs> translation. I love that. That's just how she rolls. And then he says, I can neither confirm nor deny that I possess <laughs> magical artifacts of incredible power. Yes. Yeah. And then, um, then we get a cut to Hermione going to bed and uh, she's still kind of deliberating with this because it was easier when there's like no way to like find bullies. But now that she can, now she actually has the decision of whether or not to do it. Yeah. And that's that kind of adds this this fun and uncomfortable wrinkle for her that it's fine enough to wander around looking for them. But like we're not in any like real plausibility of finding them. Thus, we're not in any real danger. But now that we can actually track them down, man, what do I do here? And then she finds a note under her pillow yeah. and it says half past 10, you'll find a bully in the fourth passageway to the left of the hall, leaving the potions classroom signed S. Yeah. I didn't get the And I pulled that. I'm like, who the hell is S? So I guess like now after the fact, then S is Santa Claus. Uh, it could be. Uh, or didn't, yeah. Didn't somebody say that? Like, I think somebody, or not like, like, oh, definitely. But like, I think that then idea, I didn't just like, I think we were fed that idea later harry floats that idea and yeah. it's really funny but that's in the next chapter um i think anyway it's, it's the letter on in this one in the next chapter but then hermione is uh going to breakfast the next morning and she's like well shit now do i tell them that i know where to find a bully or do i not because mm-hmm. now she's faced with a moral dilemma with capital letters <laughs> just just like all those wizards and witches she'd read about in the stories only in stories people always got a right choice and a wrong choice not two wrong choices and so, like, the wrong choices she's facing are, like, do I go off and handle the bully myself without telling my friends, because that would be wrong, or do I lead my friends in danger, which is also wrong. I like how option three never occurs to her, which is to ignore the note and let the person get bullied. But that doesn't occur to her, because she's a fucking hero. Yeah, I don't think that would be, like, that wouldn't be an option for Harry either. No, but I just like that, because that, that is totally yeah. an option. But yeah, not, so. not if, again. Or I guess it would be like, oh, tell the teachers, or, you know, or bring teachers with you. Yeah, that's another good outside-the-box solution. <laughs> outside-the-box. No, that's the in-the-box solution. Well, but if you're thinking from the context of, exactly. like, I'm a hero, this is a story. Outside the hero box. Exactly, outside the hero box. That's it's the, inside uh, the same it's, box, it's, for sure. It's inside the actual human in real life box. Um, unfortunately, the decision's taken away from her because apparently she wasn't the only one who was informed. Yeah. Um, they all got it, didn't they? Uh, it says Daphne says she knows yeah. um, Padma comes up to her and says that so Padma didn't apparently get a note that morning but Daphne did yeah. um, now our only other plausible explanation and I guess the one that we're supposed to be immediately thinking is I can't remember who it, Millicent is Millicent Bustrode the other although yeah so we think she's a seer but she's actually a, a time turner um, well her sister is okay yeah. But yeah, but that sort of time travel rumor mill, like that's going to be the only, that's the only explanation we've got as to how this could be happening. Other than I suppose S Salazar could be for Slytherin. Seer. S is for Salazar Slytherin because it's oh, the ghost yeah. of Salazar. I guess that could theoretically be the, not by the way you just said, oh yeah, but. 
<laughs> that could be the aha. It actually is the ironic that there really is a ghost of Salazar Slytherin. That would be funny. Who apparently hates bullies. True or not, that would be hilarious. Yes. And so, you know, that's actually worth talking about. And I think, um, you know, we'll, we'll get into a bit with uh, Quirrell later, but it's already up. Like everyone was freaking out about that rumor. And you and I were trying to think of like, why is this such a big deal last week? Yeah. I think part of it is like, and someone on Discord pointed out that like, definitely one part of like why Harry was like, holy shit, people are thinking Tellers of Slytherin is because the parcel mouth connection uh, and all that. That's definitely might've been part of Harry's reaction. Oh, but I think Slyth- as far as like, like if the- he has some special connection with Slytherin, then that might make people connect dots incorrectly, apparently connecting dots to parcel. I oh, know. I guess that would like if he, cause he is the quote heir of Slytherin. Right. Um, and so he doesn't want that rumor floating around. But as far as like why everyone else is finding that rumor so distressing, I was I was trying to think of like real world examples of what that sort of rumor would be in real life that would be like just as just as disconcerting. And I'm imagining like what it would be like to be a religious person and believe that literally Jesus Christ was like informing the actions of some you know person you really hate, like I don't know, uh, a a warlord or. Mm. Uh, Donald Trump. I, so, so, I was going to use Donald Trump, yeah. <laughs> and so, like, if that example doesn't land for you and me, like, what would it what would it actually mean for us to believe in some like plausible rumor that the literal ghost of Carl Sagan was was <laughs> advising Donald Trump, right? And that's why Trump was doing the things he was doing. You're like, wait a minute, I thought Sagan was this awesome, I nice he was guy. A good guy. You're, yeah, exactly. So for everyone who you know, so for the Slytherins who think that. Salazar is a good guy, would never work with a, you know, filthy mudblood girl or whatever, um, and would probably also support their bullying. And then for everyone else, they're like, well, wait a minute, you're telling me, like, that essentially, you know, Slytherin's, uh, Salazar is basically Jesus. Hitler was doing the work of Jesus. Right. That would be You're like, wait, are you telling me that that Jesus fucking Christ himself is telling the... Jesus was a self-loathing Jew. Yeah. (laughs) It's, uh, it's... So I think that that's sort of, uh, I was just trying to kind of pump the intuition in my own brain. It's like what it would be like to have that same sort of panic and yeah, we don't really sense. have. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't so. immediate, yeah, it would have been cool for him to have said something like that rather than it was just sort of like kind of this, I don't know. Yeah, because it felt just kind of this more knee jerk, like, oh, shit, a secret. We better cover it up. Um, but yeah. yeah, you know, my brain, I, my brain hasn't left the whole um, who is S thing because we're talking like, because it feels like the, the whole Millicent. Millicent Bullistrode, was that it? Um, like, that's the kind of obvious thing dangling in front of us. And now having said that, that clearly can't be it. Um, but it's got involved. I'm trying to, like, you know, uh, the mentalist rules around who it could be. It's got to involve time travel, like, or uh, an actual seer, which would be Trelawney, whose name doesn't start with S. Maybe Trelawney is Santa Claus. Oh, Probably Sybil not. is her first name. Sybil? interesting so it could be although that's like oh there's a bully in this hallway seems like kind of a penny anyway to be a seer um (laughs) like i used to have all these cool prophecies back when i was younger now it's just about fucking bullies in this school i teach at (laughs) so the only other one i think like do we know so we know dumbledore like those we know harry has a time turner um sister of millicent has a time turner and dumbledore has a time turner do we know of anybody else. Oh, and I guess the whole, apparently the whole Ministry of Magic is, oh, so it could be, ah, maybe it's Amelia Bones because the whole hmm. Ministry of Magic is apparently chock full of time turners. Either that or Dumbledore. Yeah, I could totally be. Oh yeah, because then Dumbledore's doing the whole like 
oh, we need to manufacture heroes, but I can't let them know that that's what I'm doing. So he's secretly... I do love the, I love the way you're thinking. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, it's sort of like, yes, this is the very rationalist way to track it down. Okay, if time turners is the, is the hypothesis, then yeah. Well, yeah, I guess, I mean, because it would, I mean, well, so pretend you don't know the answer to this. And then um, it, this, so whoever, this isn't important to the story right now, but it's a fun thing to think about. Like whoever that is, let's say that S does stand for Santa Claus or, you know, whoever that is that's feeding them this, it's got to involve a time turner for them to know that. Because the only, it's a thing, you know, the future is coming. So you're either a seer or it's a time turner and the whole seer thing seems lame. Especially yeah. since apparently we've already been fed the idea that seers are bullshit and it's actually time turners. I mean, there are other ways in the like established story to know when things are going to happen or what's going to happen that don't involve time travel or like seeing. Like what? Um, I mean, like, I'm trying to think of a, a good example. Like, um, what was... Uh, oh, we, we were tossing around last week that Dumbledore had like uh or no here's here's one that actually uh well th- this was the story that um what's his name uh blaze zabini fed to quarrel was that oh no dumbledore said that he was gonna help the bullies like you know bully my cousin or sister or something mm. if i didn't make the the christmas battle end in a tie and so you can you can plot for things to happen right yeah. you can you can flex did- your 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 subterfuge and slitheriness to make something happen so like i don't have to know the future if i if i i don't have to be a seer or a time traveler if i blackmail somebody and say be at this place at 10 30 oh that would just be yeah that yeah. doesn't seem like that yeah i'm not buying that one i'm like going back to that thing we're completely at least we're like getting lost in tangents that are from the story um yeah because because zabini had said what was it that zabini had said that dumbledore threatened yeah to like uh, that doesn't seem either like, fit like not get the bullies to stop or to make them start bullying his sister or something. I can't remember. And Zabini, and we, and Zabini believed that when he said that. No, he, when he was, he was talking lying. to Mr. Hatton Cloak, he said that I told him just, I told Quirrell just oh, what he yeah, told, yeah, okay. told me to say. Yeah. yeah so that was the lie he was saying. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah. So, well, wait, so we haven't gotten the, the, the Tonks of the spoilers since it's going to be spoiled by the end of the episode. Tonks um, shows up. Does Tonks at this point have any connection to the ministry of magic she's just another and how's that so she's a student i'm trying to like now i'm thinking try like how does the age math work with um uh lupin, lupin. yeah lupin and tonks i actually checked apparently um tonks was uh had just graduated if you do the math by harry's first year mm-hmm. but the author wanted to have her in this story so he like just subtracted one from her age and left her being a seventh year so she's like a 17 year old girl in this yeah and so she's just well i guess we'll get to that but so she just sort of naturally so amazingly talented that she could pwn three other seven because they, they would be the same year as her yeah. Uh, yeah, they'd be about the same year. I think there were sixth mm-hmm. and seventh years. I think you know might have been the unexpected of fighting another seventh year, and mm-hmm. like well, I guess know, they were kind we of, know, we know they'd already been softened up, right? And we know that Tonks, at least canonically, wanted to grow up to be an or. Maybe she's taking extracurricular or classes, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, we haven't so got that. It was she, a badass scene. We haven't got that. We should we'll get that the full treatment. Yeah, right there. Well, before we get there, we have the hilariously. Uh, I, I love this so much from uh so we get to cut to susan bones this is after hermione's told that daphne says she knows where to fight bullies and then it just cuts and it just mm-hmm. says doomed 
they were all doomed in Susan Bones' opinion. Auntie sometimes told stories which started out like this. People did something they knew was stupid, and the stories usually ended with someone being doomed, doomed. all over the floor <laughs> and all over the walls and getting on Auntie's shoes. <laughs> that was a good line. I like that. They're doomed all over the walls. <laughs> that would be weird. I mean, so I guess uh, Amelia Bones is sort of like the equivalent of like, well, I guess back when like the, who was the, I'm trying to think from the Untouchables. Um, who was the head of the FBI or the head of the, the who was Kevin Costner's character in the Untouchables? Never saw it, but I'll, um, I'll take the example. Uh, yeah, but, he's, like, but he's based on an actual person. But so he was like the pre uh, J. Edgar Hoover I don't know if he was the head of the FBI, but anyway, he was back. He, he was one of the high mucky mucks in the FBI that we actually liked. Um, anyway, it doesn't matter. But she would be like the equivalent of that because she's sort of like the boss lady of the wizard version of the FBI. Um, and I think the wizard version of the FBI is rolled into the wizard, wizard version of just like the the law enforcement, like the military. Yeah. I think her, her, her title is the, the, the department head of the Department of magical law enforcement right yeah. oh, so, so so she's sort of like the chairman of the joint chiefs of staff then except that works yeah like except the gun because um, <laughs> it's because it's a movie and people are doers not talkers but like i was just like wondering uh what would that be like to be the like you're the susan bones and your your aunt so everybody knows your aunt is you know the colin powell of the wizarding world it seems like a pretty stupid fucking the, idea to beat up, you know, even if it was just like a small town seriously. sheriff, you know, like I'm not going to beat up the sheriff's kid, true. Uh, especially if the sheriff, you know, ran the military and the, all the, uh, the professional dark wizard hunters in the country. So well, we do, these are the actions of the unwise, uh, not worried about the reputation of Slytherin shoot from <laughs> the hip. Slytherin's. That's exactly what I was going to say is that these aren't people who are thinking ahead. Yeah. Um, these are the goons. The people that These are the anyway, Slytherin right? goons. Yeah. So then there's just this, this is a really nice like comedic opening. They're like whispering back and forth like, hey, you know, do, do you know why Hermione's been sighing all morning? And like, no talking. So his laughter <laughs> and harsh whisper sounding much louder than Pavani's murder, <laughs> murmur. And then three girls shush even more loudly. And then just Susan in her head again, doomed. They were utterly, totally, doomed. quite extremely doomed. <laughs> um They've apparently got some hand signals that Hermione is saying, like, I'll look ahead, you stay here. And then Hermione, or uh, who is it again? Susan in her head is just singing the Chaos Legion marching song. Doom, 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 doom. Oh, yeah, I forgot we had that. Yeah. And then, now, is this, uh, I get to disconnect. So do we just sort of, like, end this chapter on kind of, like, the cliffhanger? Or no, we have like the whole. No, we have. Uh, okay, we so yeah, we have the whole. Ba- yeah, most of this, like, there's a lot of words for this, but it's just the really cool battle scene, which won't won't be a lot to talk about with it. But but so we, then we do have the thing about like where it's like Susan, what the hell are you doing here? You're not supposed to be here. That's next um, chapter. Oh, that is next chapter. So we got like two battles then. Yeah, we've got a couple. Okay. Um, so this one is together in my head. Exactly. Um. And then, at, like, so they get there 30 minutes early, and then Susan's feeling a bit better because maybe they're only slightly doomed. <laughs> and then at 1029, the bully shows up, and uh, they, like, transfigured a fake wall to hide behind with the little mm. holes that they could peek through. And, you know, clever. Oh, this clever is, like, shit, the first but... I, I guess I, like, that seemed like, I guess maybe because the second battle was, like, so epic that my, my brain had shoved. This, this minor bully was, like, last week, apparently, as far as my brain was concerned. Yeah, the, like, the two-week oh, yeah. delay probably didn't help yeah. either. They did kind yeah, of blur together. Um, yeah, this so then, is like the 1.0 version of Bully Battle. Right. 
And this is this is the funny one though, where he is standing there, just kind of hanging out, and then he casts a uh, shield charm, and the adult version of what are they? I forget what they're. Oh, Prismatis? No, that's the good one. That's the they're, shieldy thing. That's that's like the big orby shieldy thing. Yeah. There's the one that they were using to like you know make little like shield size sized shields. I think that's Protego. Like, nah, they're they're using like the the weaker version of Protego. Protego is the full body one, I um. think. And that's that's what they were too young to cast, and they're doing the little army battles. But anyway, so he casts that first, and then he then he says, "I never knew if Accio or Asio was how you say this, but I summon Axio, Axio, yeah, summon victim." And then this uh, <laughs> this kid comes flying from around the corner, and he's like hovering there, and he says, "I suppose you wonder what's going on." The seventh year Slytherin said in a cold, quiet voice, "Don't worry, it's so simple. Even a Gryffindor can understand." And then he punches the kid who's dangling there in the stomach. Mm-hmm. And he says, you're my victim. I'm a bully. I'm going to beat you up. And we'll see if anyone stops me. <laughs> I'm like, as, as I like going, I'm like, oh, because first I'm sort of like, oh, why are we dealing in such like kind of lame cliches about it? But then it goes like, oh, that's this is all on purpose. Like he's running his own little experiment. He's like, I am yeah, intentionally yeah. pushing all the buttons to try to get the scenario to play out. Exactly. And he's, he, I think he's just, he's like, all right, if they're going to fight bullies, I'm going to just put on the role of bully as mm-hmm. uh, stereotypically as possible. And then, you know, Susan realizes, obviously, that it's a trap. But before she can say anything, uh, Lavender comes flying out and she, or like running out. And she says, stop, evildoer. <laughs> um, in the name of Hogwarts, I command that you let go of that eek. And then she gets disarmed, stupefied, and then summons stupid heroine. And then she's <laughs> dangling there a foot above the or dangling by one foot unconscious. And he she's wearing that, that hilarious squirts. costume that we were talking about. Yes. And superhero uh, escorts. Right. He tries to like uh what do you call it? Finite incantatum is like the stop magic, I'm guessing. Oh yeah, because he thinks if that he... Her, she's like transfigured her Yeah. That, that costume and is just, just a transfiguration. It's just like a little hilarious throwaway. She like actually bought like real superhero <laughs> costume, which I think is is adorable. Oh no, yeah, she had um, some other students like make it for her, yeah. Right. And so then they in five synchronized voices, they try and cast uh Lagan, that shield shattering uh, mm-hmm. spell and they don't work and Hermione immediately after that casts stupefying on the off chance that it did work but it doesn't and then um, they just kind of like scream and charge and then it, we get a line break to Susan, I, Susan Bones waking up and this is just I think what I pulled out here was they've got this battle strategy that they use over and over where they're just like getting knocked out and then constantly reviving each other mm-hmm. and I think that's just because like it actually works great because in this they're you know since the since no one's getting killed because these are just bullies, they're not at war. That is a strategy that you can just keep doing. Mm-hmm. It totally if did, keep- You pointed out it totally did remind me of a, a little doof media game night uh, and <laughs> me playing like Left for Dead, which I like had never played. And like first person shooters are kind of not my bag. It was a hell of a lot of fun, but it was basically everybody else being super cool about the fact that that most of the game was just an exercise in finding Brian and using one of your own first aid kits to revive him. So, <laughs> thanks, guys. Um, it was, it was a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, it was. Um, oh, were you watching? Did you see it? See oh, yeah, I watched it live. Shame. I think I watched like the first 90 minutes live, then I finished yeah. it the next day. It was awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm more of a sim game guy. I'm not a shooty game guy. I think having the just the damage sponge in the group made, the, made it really funny to watch. <laughs> so... If anyone wants to watch a, a whole, and like I think I mentioned, oh, I didn't say this on the show. I was talking to this with, talk about this with Scott, that 
I feel like the AI got smarter between when that game first came out and when you guys were playing it. Because as kids, we could all just walk through that game and crush mm-hmm. it. And I think, I, um, yeah, I think one of the guys. Maybe it's because we didn't have that. a Brian weighing our team down, but uh, <laughs> I, I feel like that game used to be easier. I'm really good at Kerbal Space Program, though. Yeah, next time we'll do that for uh, streaming or something. Uh, <laughs> you've got you got five hours to uh, watch me land a rocket on. But yeah, yeah, sounds like fun. It is fun. Just so let's see. Basically, they're getting they're getting stopped here, and uh, you know, there, there's a couple highlight moments where, like, um, let's see, Padma casts Prismatis as the guy's sh- uh, shooting a spell at him, but she casts it around the bully rather than around herself, and so it deflects back at him, but mm-hmm. he notices and blocks it. And then again, they just keep innervating each other, which, like I said, is a strategy that actually keeps working because they're like the bullies aren't going to kill anybody; they're going to just knock them out. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that was kind that of the thing said, running in my the back of my head constantly is like, what is the level of like actual threat going on? You don't know, so it's not like oh, they're not going to do anything because it's all students. Like you don't necessarily know that. But that was like when we like okay, there's bullies and everybody's fighting each other, but like, what are the stakes here? Is this just sort of like oh, we might all end up in Madame Pomfrey's or like could serious shit go down? And how much are yeah, people I guess worried it's not about clear. it? Yeah, how much are these bullies worried I, about I, I like, get... the consequences after the fact? Yeah, it it seems like they're not worried at all. Which yeah. I, I mean, just the idea of running around hitting people is not something that I really quite understood, even as a kid. Yeah. Um, maybe it's because I was one people running around and hitting, but not all that often. But enough to where I didn't like the idea. Um, but anyway, they're they're. I was thinking about this just because like. You would think that they would have caught on, or at least even in this fight, this guy would have caught on to the fact that they keep waking each other up. Mm-hmm. So you try another strategy that doesn't involve knocking them out. And like there is that uh, that first year spell, Petrificus Totalis or something, the oh, petrifying yeah. spell. Yeah, that's Drake was fond of that one. Yeah, the, I remember the they, they, they petrify Neville when they're going for the stone in the first book. Yeah, and Draco did that uh, to Harry once. Like, he was invisible, and then he petrified him so that oh, he yeah. was invisible, and so that nobody would know that he was there, and then he, like, kicked the shit out of him and left him there. Nice. Said, yeah, so, I mean, he could totally do Draco. that, and they're not strong enough to finite the seventh year's magic, right? So he should yeah. just be petrifying them rather than knocking them out, but... I guess Again, I'll just kind of work. These bullies yeah. aren't exactly strong true. thinkers. It still works as sort of like a a battle of mana attrition. Like it, it, it's not it's not a freebie for them to you know wake each other up. It kind of like it, each little thing is wearing them down. So. Right. Speaking of mana attrition, that seems to be what happens. And so, yeah. actually, someone does get hurt. Uh, Hannah is running away to get help, and he casts that uh, Cluthy spell, which like basically like, makes her leg spasm and in crazy muscle spasm pain oh, and she like bounces and, her skull on the floor or something yeah she fa- yeah. she falls against the floor hits her head and then she's screaming in pain because her muscles are all twisting up and oh, yeah. That's not uh, fun. if you ever had a good muscle spasm you know i imagine oh, I know. all the muscles in your legs doing that and yeah screaming sounds like a totally appropriate reaction um so i mean she is in actual pain being actually hurt and then i like that she rolls over and she's just like she screams go away <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny but i i it you know what else are you going to do in that point i like it a lot um and he just says, I think not. And then Daphne Greengrass stabbed her most ancient blade directly into his groin as she steps around the corner. And there was a flash that lit up the whole corridor. She was and so like apparently, lying in wait. She, she what? She was lying in wait. She was there acing the hole. Yeah. And it, it it comes out later when the guy's getting chewed out by Snape that like even that shouldn't have worked. But it did. Maybe mm-hmm. like because you mentioned magical attrition. Um and it does apparently like knock Daphne out, I think, too, or at least leave her in a state of quote total magical exhaustion. Well, and that's um, like her Excalibur, so it's you know it's got like magical plot power. Yeah, that could be it. 
or that's probably it i don't know yeah. it um, is sort of like it does work though because so we've got this kind of idea that you know wizards heads are harder um but also that it would be you know in the back of everybody's mind that you know we've got yeah we could fuck each other up because we've got magic to heal each other so you'd be totally fine with like stabbing somebody in the arm like that's that's yeah. totally like that's on the table for even high school students yeah we talked about the prospect of magical jackass uh, <laughs> yeah. when it first came out in the story that wizards are more physically durable than muggles yes. and there's um, just like the way that like the kind of cruelty that it would uh cause when everybody's sort of in this mindset of that it's you know consequence free violence that everybody's just gonna be totally cool with you know let me just break some bones or you know really fuck you up because you know tomorrow you'll be fine and that you know and it's not clear to me because like yeah you could do some really heinous shit you could petrify somebody and then just like kind of cut them to ribbons and then heal them up right afterwards um it's not clear to me what uh like what exactly they have to do to get expelled but yeah. or, or or frankly arrested, you know, if, if you're literally torturing somebody with yeah, a knife, I feel like that that sounds like arrested material. But or, you know, what it takes to get Hogwarts shut down? Like why? They, right. What school has its own hospital? I guess, you know, any school that has Quidditch. <laughs> I guess so. I mean, if you're if people are falling off their brooms left and right, breaking their arms and shit, then you got to have them. Yeah, we, f- we fuck know. up our kids too much to ship them off to Mungo's. We need to treat them right here. <laughs> right. All that. uh all that flu powder isn't free, so we'll just treat them in-house. Um, also, then we don't have to report every single incident. Of course. Yeah, these things fine. just happen at school. Just, walk just put some butter on it. He's fine. Yeah, think of the paperwork involved of sending them off to the hospital. <laughs> Probably just cheaper even to have a full-time staff nurse than it is to have uh, um, there aren't you know, wizard a hospital lawyers every are time. There? I don't think we've ever heard, even with like the, uh, what's the magical council trial place? There's no wizard lawyers. Wizards don't sue right. each other. Yeah, they don't really seem to sue each other. I'm not sure how they settle their disputes. Duels? Magic. Yeah, magic. Magic. Um, <laughs> anyway, so the, then it cuts to them at the hospital wing where they've left uh, Hannah, who should be right, who should be healed up in about 35 minutes. They lied and said that they tried a road running charm, which I think is a hilarious thing. Um, <laughs> and that's a cause the leg cramps. Me, me. And what was that? Me, me. Yeah, meet me. Uh, <laughs> Uh, somebody somebody painted a tunnel on the wall and she ran into it. That's right. Very plausible explanation. Um, it, with magic, but, yeah, that would work. You paint a tunnel on the wall and you fucking walk right through it. Man, if magic, if magic had just tune force wizard. physics in it, then you'd be Roadrunner uh, was a wizard. You'd be just unstoppable if you could just draw an anvil above someone's head and have it fall on them. <laughs> Although you essentially can, you know, you can summon one or something, right? So. Exactly. All right, magic's full of ways to cheat. Um, Anyway, they, they talk themselves out of getting in trouble with Madame Pomfrey, even though you get the look that she's not really buying it. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's just like, fuck it, it's not my job to investigate the bullshit stories they get. I just help exactly. the kids not be sick. So um, then they're thinking, like, we should stop and get out of here. And uh, Lavender explains that she's got her hero outfit. Um, <laughs> I don't think there's much else to go on there. But, uh, oh, they did have this thing, like, oh, we should all wear these these costumes. And um, Granger, then general granger says i think she said in a careful voice that would make us all look a little silly well we should we should vote on whether or not to and then she says i think no matter what anyone votes i'm not going to copy i'm not going to be caught dead wearing one of those costumes <laughs> and it's like yeah this whole voting on stuff sounds great till you're trying to shove me into one of those stupid leotards uh-huh. um, i had some vision of some like totally over the top like 1970s wonder woman kind of vibe to it totally 
I, and it does describe it a bit, but I still I'm picturing yeah, essentially exactly that. Uh, so, yeah, and then like toss on top of, top of it that it's like some awkward geeky like pubescent girl trying to dress like Wonder Woman, so maybe with like buck teeth and glasses, <laughs> or that, or like just you know like a an original X Men uh, style leotard, right? Yes, I like uh, that was. The line in the first Exxon movie, he's got like the black, Wolverine's got the black suit on and well, what would you prefer, yellow spandex? And he looks at Jean Grey, can read, her, read his mind and they both kind of just smile because we both know he would love yellow spandex. Yellow spandex. There's dignity uh, in yellow spandex, apparently. He, I mean, there is when you when you can just claw anyone to bits who laughs at your yellow spandex. So. The poster I've got on my walls, a, a 1980s Uncanny X-Men. And so there's like, there are like literal shoulder pads and yeah. They're looking very uh, Phoenix with a sash. Awesome. Very. Anyway, so they get to the awesome. Great Hall and people start applauding. It was scattered applause, um, you know, from a hand from mostly from Gryffindor, but some from the other two, but none from Slytherin. Yes. And then, uh, like, they look over Neville's apl- applauding with his hands above his head. Um, and then she looks at the head table. Professor Sprout's face is lined with concern and. She and Professor McGonagall were leaning towards Dumbledore, who just had a salam look, and they're apparently talking to him. And uh, Snape makes slicker. one clap, or does that come after? I think that's right here. Yeah, that's this one. One single uh, clap. Oh, but I Snape. like this too. It, it's just going over the whole head table. Flitwick is looking more resigned than anything else, and Quirrell, face slack, was taking trembling stabs at his soup using a, f- a spoon gripped in a fist. <laughs> <laughs> Which is very, a it's, very uncivilized image. Right. It's just kind of like a reminder like to what Quirrell must look like outside of the minds of like mm-hmm. people who aren't Harry Potter. And so like they see him being all dignified and strong during his lectures, but like the rest of the time he's just like and when he's in zombie mode, how fucking weird that is. Mm-hmm. But I was that the so description so that was I guess uh that and that makes more sense. I I read that as like that those motions which didn't work, but that those were you know, like his that was his frustration with the thing. He's like, Oh fuck this bitch. And that was like, he was sort of like stabbing at his spoon, but that way it makes way more sense that that's just him being zombie man. Face slack, taking trembling stabs at his yes. soup, using a spoon gripped in a fist. We still, I, like, like, just... like, I haven't figured out like the, the, the timing to that whole like zombie thing, or even really the meaning behind the zombie thing. I still don't get, still a mystery to me. It's probably, it's probably nothing. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Cause uh, yeah, it, 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 it doesn't seem to fit. Is it like his proximity to dumb? Ah, so I don't know how it makes sense, but it seems like because that's because he walked away when before Dumbledore showed up uh, at the few protest um, and whenever he's on the stage, because it seems like on the stage is the time we most see it, except he was in zombie mode when they were on their way to Diagon Alley and Dumbledore wasn't around unless that's our hint that Dumbledore was listening in on the guy. Yeah, I don't know. My, my theory now, though, is that he goes zombie mode when he's around Dumbledore, which doesn't make any sense, but I mean. Not confirming or denying, but if it makes no sense, it probably sounds like a bad theory. Yeah. Yeah. Except that it's clearly the most important part of the story. Obviously. And so is Snape looking at either her or Hermione, and he just does like one Single small clap. quiet clap gesture, <laughs> which I guess read into that what you will. Or I um, picture it was it was it like one small clap? I thought it was like one sort of pronounced like let everybody know that I'm clapping one single time. It says he brought them together once in a motion that was too slow to be a real clap. Okay. So go. like a symbolic clap, yeah. I guess. Um, Technically a clap clap. Right. And then, uh, oh yeah, this was the super awesome part. I'm glad, I love this part so much. And it works really well too, because like, I don't know about you, but 
when I was reading this, I get like the same kind of visceral, like I, I'm immediately uh, empathetically shoved into Hermione's shoes. Oh yeah. It's when, so like high school. Yeah. It's a, like, and, it's and totally felt like the, some kind of John Hughes, like a scene from a John Hughes movie or something. Yeah. Just the, the humiliation and then like the fear and the, uh, the indignation, all of it is awesome. So what happens is, uh, Hermione is walking, I guess, she to magically her tripped. table. Yeah. Right. She stumbled hard, like she was being yanked off her feet. And then she sprawled into the gap where Marcus Flint and Lucian Bull sat. And uh, there was a sad little splurging sound as Hermione's face ended up in Flint's plate of steak and mashed potatoes. <laughs> and then he, like, Flint, like, grabs her and throws her to the floor. And her face is covered in, you know, mashed potatoes and food and... He's just looking at her and he's like, you ruined my food, girl. Girl. And exactly. And then it's just like this whole. It's a very like melodramatic. Apologize. Yeah. Apologize to me. And there's like this frozen silence. And um, then Harry, it's just in the background. She sees him like stand up and then stop halfway to his feet as if he had just thought of something. Um, And then I like this. This is uh, like, when was this? Oh, the Quidditch thing. Um, when about their remember all with like everyone's like wands out everybody mm. that's like basically what's amping up here is yeah. like some Ravenclaw stood up some Gryffindor stood up and, and then Hufflepuff she looks up at Dumbledore and McGonagall and she's like why isn't the headmaster fucking doing anything about this yeah and Dumbledore's and like uh, wait yeah Dumbledore's like I don't know if he knew that nothing would happen or he was like cool with that I I'm not sure either but it does it says that he is resting a hand out as though to restrain Professor McGonagall yeah. who isn't about to let bullshit like this go down yeah. but then. A voice jumps in and says, my apologies. And she look, and Daphne turns to look, her mouth gaping open in absolute shock. And he uses the Scourgeify spell to clean her up. And it's Draco Malfoy. And he says, sorry about, the, sorry about that, Miss Granger. I guess somebody thought they were being funny. And he took her hand and, or he reaches out her hand, his hand, and Hermione grabs, grabs it. And there's this like moment where, in Daphne's head, she's like, oh, hell, he's going to lift her up and drop her back <laughs> down and make this a whole funny thing. But then he doesn't. And then he says, you know, uh, she's just like I imagine still kind of coming down from the the fear and adrenaline of what was going on and she's just like thanks and he says you're welcome in a voice loud enough or in a loud voice not looking to either side and he says just remember being cunning and ambitious doesn't mean you have to be like that and then he just goes back to his t- back to the table and it's like nothing happened yeah, like that that was big dick energy that's what that was it was awesome <laughs> I know he's just like I don't care yeah it was the like you know, all of my people are, are going to lose their shit that I'm doing this, but fuck them. And, and not even in a way that's like, forget. it's not even like he's turning on Slytherin. It's more like I am more Slytherin than these asshats. But in a way, like, it, yeah. well, the Slytherins feel like he's turning on Slytherin. Yeah. So we get a cut to Draco's point of view and his heart's hammering in his chest. Oh, this was funny. I pulled out this line. His heart was hammering in his chest so hard he worried it might explode right out of his chest in a shower of blood. Like that curse Amicus Carolyn once used on a puppy. <laughs> on a puppy. <laughs> not a dog, not not a puppy. not a random animal, a fucking puppy. So of course we now know that Amicus Carroll is the worst character in the whole story. Where did he come? Uh, we've heard we've had that name before. I don't remember where it was, but this isn't the first time we've heard that name. Uh, he's a legit Death Eater, and uh, like I mean, in, in canon he was as well. Yeah. And I think oh, his kids go here. Oh, is that yeah? Because I know we've mentioned him before in this story, yeah. not just in the original book. I think I think one of his kids is one of the people that attacks them the 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 spew witches in the next chapter. Mm, okay. No, yeah, okay, doesn't matter. Um, I like the other thing I realized, like as the scene was playing out, was like this is sort of the like our our side quest with Harry of 
you know, converting Draco to the light side of the Force. Um, like, this is that playing out. Like, this is sort of like the, the first major event in, you know, Draco is, you know, seeing being a Slytherin as something other than twirling your mustache. So, yeah. That was cool. And, like, how the, the fallout from all of this, that, like, it, so many people just assume this is part of some fiendish master plan um, rather than what he says it is on its face. Right. That's what that's what they eventually, the rest of the Slytherins gather um, also just like a little bit of, uh, like, I don't know what to call this literarily, but, um, the, the hyper realism maybe where the Draco's sitting there freaking out, not answering questions yet. And so he goes for like the most moist thing on his plate, a bite of carrots <laughs> because his mouth is super dry. And I'm like, that, that, like that. is just very immersive writing. Yeah. Um, and then he's still like, and just know, like, we get to like, kind of watch his, you know, gears turning in his head around. Cause he's still trying to play the game. Um, and so he's like, still, he's like, he's, he still thinks he's got to play. Well, not just thinks, but accurately thinks that he's got to play these weird dominance games with, you know, the other members of Slytherin. And we kind of get to see it was, it was cool. And the way he's talking about like, oh, his heart's beating so fast. Like, we get to see kind of the mental cost to him of you know this decision he made. Yeah. Well, you get the I, I get the impression that he didn't make the decision really. Like this happened, and he yeah. went over to go help her because he cares about her. Yeah, in the same way we talk about, like in the same way that that scene where he like keeps her from falling off the, the roof, right? Yeah, and, and so it, like, just, and we get into his head so that we're not like, you know, as readers, we aren't wondering if this is some kind of fiendish plot. Like we we're in his head and we know that this is you know him acting sincerely and not even not in, even necessarily in some sort of squishy way, but just sort of like this sincere kind of like okay, this is bullshit and why are we acting like this? We look like assholes. Exactly. And he's uh, like, there's probably some better way to make Slytherin, or there's probably some way to make Slytherin look even worse than attacking eight first-year girls from all four houses who are working together to stop bullies. But I can't think of how. Yeah. And so then in his like Slytherin-y cunning, trying to divert uh, suspicion that he actually likes this mudblood as a person, he says, this way we get the benefit of what Greengrass is doing. And they're like, wait, what benefit? And he's like, it makes Slytherin house look better. And he's like, look better to who? And... <laughs> um, then someone else just has the idea of like, you know, what? it's probably some clever, tremendously clever scheme Malfoy's got going, um, <laughs> you know, like in a tragedy of light where everything looks like it's a setback. It's actually. Yeah, I thought plot. that was funny because that's because like kind of our only, you know, knowledge of that thing is Lucius talking about it as a really stupid idea. So it was like a nice way of like making them, making the other Slytherins look like, you know, morons without having to just say, and they are morons. And you got to watch Death Note, which is what tragedy and... of light is. Um, so then it's like, then Crabbe and Goyle are kind of murmuring to each other. They're worried about what they just saw with, uh, Draco doing that, but they don't get exactly what's happening. Um, then Hermione is leaving lunch and, uh, cause I guess, you know, she wasn't hungry, um, after being freaked out like that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Daphne's trying to explain in her voice, just barely below a shriek that, uh, this is Draco goddamn Malfoy, his father's Darth Vader and, uh, he's been trained from birth to hate you and trained from birth to lie. And, uh, he's, th he's not being nice. This is some, he's going to fuck you over hardcore. And if he doesn't, his dad will kill him. Like you, you, mm -hmm. you are being woefully naive by imagining that he's just trying to be nice to you. And, yeah, and we get that a little later with his father saying, you know, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. And Draco not knowing how to respond. It's awesome. And, uh, let's see. There's like six or seven line breaks here, so I'm just trying to breeze past them. We get a single line break to, uh, oh, well, I like this. It cuts back to Draco, 
And he says, all right, fine. You want to know my plot? Here's my plot. I'm not going to do anything. And the next time people think I'm plotting something, they won't be sure. And this fifth year boy says, huh, I don't think I believe you. That doesn't sound cunning enough to really be it. That's what he wants you to say, said the fifth year girl. (laughs) I think like being a Slytherin house would be exhausting. Having this Mm -hmm. being like the level of... uh, 100% 100% all the time deception of how how much is everyone fucking with me all the time but it sounds relentlessly entertaining so always on and then we get three quick line breaks which is just fast enough to read and Albus whenever said dangerously did you plan all of this line break <laughs> well if I did just snap my fingers under the table I wouldn't just tell you that so <laughs> I forgot that Harry doing that thing where he doesn't deny or, mm-hmm. or confirm something cut to defense professor's uh, quavering hand dropping his spoon into the soup again <laughs> <laughs> that totally went past me the zombie thing zombie we haven't seen I mean it's been a while since we've seen Quirrell do zombie stuff yeah. so um, we just kind of forget that that's a thing that seems not thing about it it seems almost maybe every time like when he is I don't know because he's did his like big speech thing you know his, oh, we're all going to be happy Nazis um, and he wasn't in zombie mode for that but it seems like every time he's like up on that stage um, he goes into zombie mode and this this isn't me having gone through the book with like a timer or anything, but I, I get the impression that he's just kind of zombie mode more often than not. Yeah, yeah, and he was um, zombie mode like the beginning of his of that first battle magic class. Yeah, he's oh, sitting yeah. there slashing his chair, drooling onto his robes, yeah. and then like when class starts, he wakes up and he's not a zombie anymore. I I sort of get the feeling that he's like zombieing more than half the time. Yeah. I'm um, betting though it's not random. There's going to be some significance to the timing of it. I suppose we'll just have to wait and see, because I certainly have no idea. <laughs> yeah. And then we get a cut to Daphne, who's chewing out Millicent, and uh, she's like, what do you mean I set you up? Millicent's asking. With my seer's eyes, I stare through time itself. I saw you winning. <laughs> um, and she's like, that boy was expecting us. Well, yeah, everyone knows you're hunting bullies. And like, it's just this kind of back and forth, mm-hmm. uh, which to me is funny, because we both know that hannah or excuse me millicent is just pretending to be a seer but she's getting off on the notoriety i guess yeah Um, like the way see through time itself at least for me that's like okay i'm not what it's definitely a time turner you know trick around except yeah well no so we're saying like she was told except the that whole s note thing is not from her i mean she'd have a hard time probably sneaking into ravenclaw and yeah uh, there's no hermione's pillow yeah and there's no need for her to be cagey about that she wouldn't have to do it with a secret note. She could, could have just told them. Hmm. But I kind of well, she apparently, that was she apparently did tell Daphne because at the beginning yeah. of this, uh, when they go down to breakfast, um, someone tells Hermione that Daphne knows where to find bullies. Mm-hmm. So Daphne got the same message, whether or not she got it from Millicent or from another note or uh, whatever. Yeah, they, um, if it came from Millicent, that there wouldn't be this like you know super mysterious note left under everybody's pillow. Well, again, we only know that Hermione got the note. Well, but we know that more and, than one of them got told. Right, but here Daphne's accusing Millicent of like putting them in harm's way. Mm-hmm. And so oh, I think maybe so Millicent told Daphne, and then Hermione got a note. So I guess it, they think, yeah, oh, that is weird. So she think, and Millicent's saying, because this is the one, so this is, she's talking about the event that they got a note for, but taking credit for being the person that informed them, which would then yeah. be like her saying that like, yeah, I'm the person that wrote notes. Nobody seemed to like... I didn't latch onto that either, but nobody in the book seemed to latch onto that. Well, I don't think Hermione told her friends that she got a note. Oh, uh, do we just know that the other girls knew, but that it wasn't necessarily a note? 
I think all we know is that Daphne knew and told the other girls before Hermione got down to breakfast where to mm. find bullies. And we're learning here that Daphne learned from Millicent, who probably, I'm just guessing, didn't sneak into Hermione's bedroom and put a note on her pillow signed S, right? Yeah. And um, and only Daphne knows about Millicent? I think so. Okay. I guess I thought like they all knew, but no, I guess not. Hmm. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll have to figure out what's going. If you're confused, that's probably on purpose. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's weird. But so she, but she did tell them. But so maybe they were told by. Yeah, okay. It's getting too in the weeds. But but so but this does let us know that uh, Millicent did tell somebody about the thing, but that there was also a note about it. Yeah, Millicent told Daphne, who and Millicent almost definitely wasn't the source of that note. So they were told twice. That's two my people, yeah. Two people yeah. told them. That sounds about right. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting indeed. Yeah. Anyway, Millicent's saying because she's just playing the whole seer thing up as much as she can, and she's like, uh, "If I tell you that I see it," and she capitalizes "see" when she's ta- or yeah, "s" and "c" when yeah. she's talking. And I tell you, if I see it being a hard battle or an easy one, but that's all I can do. If I say hard, you can't not show up. Or or. Millicent's eyes rolled back in her head and she intoned hollowly, those who try to cheat their destinies will come to sad and gloomy ends. Which is all just like totally just story rules. Yeah. Like, nobody, nobody's basing that all at all on any kind of like, oh, this has actually happened. It's just, well, that's what we've read in stories. Right. God, this one has way too many line breaks to make it easy to summarize. We get a brief cutaway to Susan talking to Professor Sprout and she's like, but you helped Harry Potter that time. And Professor Sprout says, and it was made quite clear to me, um, in a voice that sounded like someone was using a shrinking charm to squeeze her throat, <laughs> that it was Professor Snape's job, not mine, to keep order in Slytherin House. Miss Bones, please, you don't have to do this. And she, yes, I do, Susan said unhappily. I'm a Hufflepuff. We have to be loyal. Oh, and this is the part where, a mysterious parchment under your pillow, Harry Potter said, looking up from where he was sitting, in the quieted nook where they were studying. Then the boy's green eyes narrowed. It wasn't from Santa Claus, was it? Mm, that's right. Pause. Okay. I'm not going to ask, and you're not going to tell me, and we're both going to pretend that you never said that, and I don't know anything about it. <laughs> oh, that's right, because she gonna... doesn't even know what that means, like what, what that word Santa Claus like means. Right. I mean, she she knows. Yeah, she know, knows Santa, Santa Claus, but she doesn't. But, yeah, I guess yeah, because yeah, she doesn't. She's not connecting that to, you know, note. Harry has never told her about notes from Santa Claus. Right. So she's just like, I'm not getting fucked. She's like, pause. All right, I'm not getting sucked into your fucking weirdness here. Let's just <laughs> let's just roll right past that. We're going to ignore that you said that and. Keep on rolling. And then we get a two-line cutaway, basically, of Susan going up to the older girl who was alone and says, uh, um, oh, does it not even say who it is yet? No, it doesn't. Actually, and this, uh, that line totally confused me because it, it almost makes it sound like because she says, oh, are you out of or do you, do you already need more something, something? I'm like, is this like her drug dealer? Like, what is this? But yeah, it's like yeah, a that's... chopped off sentence. And yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that one was a complete, like, I have no idea what the hell this is. It actually wasn't until we are just saying this. I'm like, oh, that's Tonks. Yeah, so she's talking to Tonks here, but we don't know that yet. Yeah. I, because I did know that already, I somehow just inserted that into my reading yeah. when I was reading through this this week. So, this kind of stuff, like these, like too much of this starts to get on my nerves because it's sort of like when this stuff is like a team sport to read it. Like as a regular reading of it, this stuff is so you know super tiny that it's sort of like exhausting to try to keep up with it all. And like, I think yeah, that makes if you go back and read it a second time, you can. But like, yeah. I don't, well, on the I don't plus want to read side, like, I twice. but I think that's part of the cleverness of doing yeah. it this way is that like it's a it's a treat going back and reading it a second time, 
But on the first time, if you if you never put together that she was talking to Tonks and you totally forget about it, like nothing in the story falls yeah. apart. Well, that, yeah, and, and it works better it, as, right? as when it's being, and especially by this by this point, it's you know already been, you know, it's, it is a thing happening live while being serialized that everything is being read. You know, there's a hundred eyes on everything being written. So to be subtle about anything, you have to be basically like super. I mean, beyond subtle, you have to sneak shit in. Because um, there's and there's definitely nothing here that you would be able to you know you, you would have to go back to this and um, to figure out that that's what it was. Yeah, so, totally. and there's some, and I think that's sort of that has in in terms of being a literary criticism that kind of has leaked into other ways where I think because then there is kind of this expectation set about the you know level of detail that the reader is going to pay attention to. There's been stuff that's been kind of not. Imp- Important. I mean, it's not been like a super secret or anything, but it's just been some like, you know, just in the moment part of a scene where something was stated kind of intentionally vaguely um, to the point where you're like, okay, I didn't actually follow what it was you were trying to, you know, describe here because you were trying to, you know, make a clever little feint of description here, but like it was completely lost on me um and so that that kind of stuff will interfere in a way that like this kind of stuff is sort of like a oh we're you know playing you know tricks with the plot and you know it's definitely at least you know intentional but there's been other stuff where i think it kind of affects things that aren't necessarily even part of that uh just because sort of like the expectation of the you know level of detail you're supposed to give to the reader has kind of you know been shifted uh, and then it just sort of turns into like it's just tiring to try to keep up with that. It does it. It just kind of comes in every once in a while. But I feel yeah. I think it's maybe the other part of it too was that you know since this was going a long time between releases, including these nuggets, maybe the author suspected that a lot of people would reread anyway just to yeah. fill the time. Yeah. And then they'd get these little yeah. And I'm always you know even having thought, I don't even I guess I don't know that that's an invalid thing, but it sort of like makes it what it is. Where I mean it it makes it suffer in terms of just being a book you read like any other book you read um because there are things that don't work for you know just a person reading it at a regular pace and not you know um you know not dissecting you know every little thing i think it's like watching a movie that like watching if you watch knives out again you'll get a lot more little fun clues mm-hmm. going through the whole thing uh, like some things work on a first or better yet sixth sense um you know, some things yeah. work really well a first time and then you have like vague memories of how well it worked and then you watch it again and you get to pick it up knowing the whole thing all along. Yeah. How perfectly yeah, I guess, yeah. it was set up the whole time. And it's sort of like you have to, you're kind of like writing two scripts at the same time where you have to like see, okay, how does this play out to somebody who's just, you know, reading it once and then, you know, how does it play out to somebody who went who went back to it? Um yeah, I think I think yeah. some pieces of media are definitely meant to be consumed more than once because the second time you you take it in it's different. Yeah. And I think Sixth Sense is a really mm. good example of yeah. that. Like, you know, I think it gives you a couple flashbacks or something when he learns that he's a ghost at the end. Spoiler alert, the movie's 20 years old. <laughs> um, and then, like, but, but when you go through it the second time watching that movie, seeing everything that makes perfect sense for him mm-hmm. having been a ghost the whole time, that's those are things you wouldn't have picked up on the first time. So it really rewards a second uh, pass through. Yeah, and I guess, yeah, I, um, I guess it would matter to the extent that I guess you just have to make it okay like it doesn't subtract from your experience of reading it the first time if you don't pick up on those things exactly um, it's a it's a so yeah and that's narrow... like, again like how it's like you're writing two scripts at the same time or two stories at the same time yeah and i guess in that and that's and that's been more the thing that more um 
has you know caused irritation is when you can tell like where it's sort of like seeped into like just the general you know way of you know things being described it's like okay wait a minute i I had to go back three paragraphs and read that again because i didn't understand what you meant the first time um where that doesn't that's not like serving a purpose for the plot it's just sort of yeah yeah i know i'm saying the author did all of this perfectly um but they did try and do like what you said kind of write two scripts at once where it's like all right this will reward people who read it once and go through it quickly because they'll get a fun story but man if you're going to go back through it a second time with a fine-toothed comb you'll find all this cool shit yeah so yeah and that one yeah and i guess so this is a good example because i think like one of the ones i did pick up on um when i went through this a second time for us to make the notes was like we're probably about to see where uh susan bones like comment about you know this isn't like you to be here and uh because it's not susan bones it's tonks uh, <laughs> but we don't know that the first time she's like well maybe people aren't like themselves all the time right i think i pulled the quote actually but um well yeah you can see that like okay that's a that's a wink to i'm not actually susan bones What's really funny is I never made that, like, I knew it was Tonks, but I never made the connection that, that Tonks herself was hinting at the fact that she's not uh, Susan Bones there. Yeah. I, for some reason that, you know, I had all the pieces, they just hadn't clicked into place there until you pointed that out. Yeah, no one is actually is good. And probably even this one that, you know, pointing out before about like, oh, well, no, because so in that one, like, it's totally fine. You just don't get it all that it means anything. It just sort of like goes over your head. And so it, you know, it doesn't subtract anything that you didn't pick up on it. Uh, on that first read, but it's when stuff like that for this other one, you're like, well, what the fuck was that? Like, um, so then where it's sort of like, it's jarring you, you're like, well, wait a minute, it causes confusion or whatever. And it's not really resolved. And it's not sort of, it's not super resolved because by the, like at the reveal at the end of this chapter, when we go like, oh, that was Tonks, um, this whole time, at least for me, like, I don't, I didn't remember that, you know, oh, she's talking to this unnamed person and in you know with a sentence that doesn't quite mean anything like i didn't i wasn't flashed back to that so i guess that would have been like the quote perfect way to play that out would have been to do that in such a way that even on that first reading if you're then going to have the payoff of the aha it was tonks the whole time then you kind of need to resolve that you know that well what the fuck does that mean part of the end of that chapter so that we're like ah okay um at least for me because otherwise it's just like okay you're not going to enjoy this book um until you read it a second time you won't maximally enjoy it until you read yes. it a second time, so, but you can still enjoy yeah. it. Yeah. Well, no, yeah. So I guess like yeah. the like the you know the optimal way to do that would be to have that thing not sort of cause you that kind of like um, confusion, like a just because it you know until we went through this second time that sort of it did subtract from it because I had this sort of like unresolved confusion around what the fuck was that I didn't understand what was going on and it didn't tie back to it enough for me to realize that like okay so so you know until we're talking until we've gone through this again I didn't you know resolve that and so that you know you have that kind of like conflict itching in the back of your brain that that a single read won't resolve yeah no that's that's totally fair um it yeah I think we've we've talked that point yes. through um yeah I'm not shutting it down because I'm I'm we're just gonna move past it for time's right. sake but yeah I think it's that's a fun way to you know like I said consume things and think about the the challenge of trying to deliver kind of a story within a story. Yeah. Yeah. No, a donut right. within a donut. <laughs> I'm never going to stop saying that. All right. So then we get to J- Jamie Astorga, the bully who just got his ass whooped by, uh, uh, Daphne Greengrass's noble blade spell or whatever. And Snape is chewing him out. And he's like, I remember warning you that there might be first year girls that if a fighter were incautious might, uh, prove annoying if you're taken by surprise. And Snape's just like stalking slow circles around him while he's mm-hmm. sitting in his office, and um, and the kid 
Jamie is he's a kid now. He was the he was the older bully mm-hmm. later, but now he's being you know. Uh, uh, now, now he's a seventeen year old kid. Exactly. He's like, I, sir, they shouldn't have been able to. Um, and he's like, oh, I quite agree. They shouldn't have been able to. I wonder if Mr. Malfoy, whatever he's plotting, has a point, Astorga. It cannot be good for the repute of Slytherin's house if our fighters, rather than demonstrating their strength, lose to little girls. <laughs> his voice his voice had risen. It is good that you had. It is well that you had the good taste to be defeated by a little girl who was a fellow Slytherin of a noble house, Astorga, or I would, cho- or I would deduct house points from you myself. And... Uh, I like, like just, we're not making any attempt to like the way we sort of like made Snape a complicated character with some appealing traits, like in, at least unless we do a 180 on this uh, later in the story, but like Snape's fairly unambiguously a shithead on this story. Cause like his, like he's sort of giving a valid, you know, saying, okay, Draco's right in preserving our reputation but he's otherwise completely like he has no concern at all for the kids that he was bullying he's just like oh he didn't do that very well yeah maybe i mean so poorly executed bullying after jamie astorg is uh allowed to leave then snape smiles at the floor ceiling at the it says only afterward only the walls floor and ceiling saw severus snape's smile and so it's not clear what he'd be smiling about here and we remember that he's got that iron in the fire from uh, what was her name? Rihanna Felthorn. Oh, uh, yeah. So, like, something's up with Snape. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, he's he's definitely uh, definitely acting like the asshole here. Yeah. I'm not sure what's going on, but I, like, something's up. Unless that whole thing with Felthorn, uh, last chapter, or last reading, I forget if it was chapter or not. Unless that's just all going to be completely ignored yeah. something's going on there yeah, right? as as that, yeah. Have we, but i don't think we've had any sort of hint of oh maybe snape is actually this nice guy just pretending to be a dick or have we i don't know because i get everything conflated between the originals and this i don't think we have like he's only been sort of like like so there's other like plot elements going on but we haven't had anything that's like oh maybe he's just misunderstood i don't think we have because like his whole the whole sort of like the version of this reveal around like his love for lily potter like wasn't very flattering to like what kind of person he is i can neither confirm nor deny that we've had <laughs> such clues yes then we cut to draco who's sitting there and he describes how they've got this owl with a badass name tanaxu i don't know why that sounds like that's, such a badass name but it is. i thought i just assumed that was yet another reference to something probably that's a cool name but it's a pure silver owl and he just has a short note on it that says what are you doing my son and he says, I'm trying to stop the harm done to Slytherin's reputation, father. And then I'm not sure how fast fl- owls fly. I'm guessing they get some magical, magical boost. Because it flies to Malfoy Manor and back in enough time for like him not to go to bed yet. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. And again, it's fast it, enough that he had part of like, his mental gyrations on that next one is that, oh, well, I can't take too long to think of my reply because father will know that I took too long. Right. Yeah. I'm guessing it's just like it flies just out of sight and teleports until mm. it's just within sight of the of its destination or some shit. <laughs> it flies it flies into a fireplace and comes out the other end. Right. Um and then anyway, so he says I'm trying to stop the harm done to Slytherin's reputation. And then, you know, bing bang boom, a note comes back and says, What are you really doing? <laughs> and then he's like he's staring at it and what was it, the line? It was uh um I'm missing it. Something about how there's no reason. Oh, there it is. Five words carved in black ink shouldn't have been scarier than death. <laughs> and then he says, I am preparing for the next war. And That's he waits answer. for a reply, but none came. Sorry, All right, finally made it through the first chapter. All right, halfway done. 
Jeez. Oh, you know what? At least this next one, it feels like it's longer, but it's yeah, actually not. So. It's the action packed. All right. So this is the one that had the huge gap between the time that they both came out. Um, oh, is this? Okay. And that's why, like, it opens up with, like, this kind of flashbacky feel, like, uh, again, like, a bit, like they had an off season or something, yeah. and now they're picking back up. Because, like, it'll do the italics of, like, what's happening now, and then just, like, the non-italic paragraph of, like, boring stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, like, it's it's hard to exactly pin down, unless you're listening to the delightfully done audiobook that <laughs> puts in, like, nice little sound effects between these. And it's, like, all action-packed, and it starts open. A jet of red fire took Hannah full in the face, flipping her head over heels and smacking her head straight into the stone wall, where her pale face seemed to linger for an instant, framed by flying strands of brown and golden hair before she collapsed to the ground in a heap of robes as the third and final volley of blazing green spirals brought down their foe's shield charm. The March days passed The March days passed by, filled with lectures and study and homework, <laughs> breakfast and lunch and dinner. And then the Gryffindor boys Some stared montage. at the eight of them. Exactly. And then, you know, another another bully encounter. And then there was the sleeping, of course. You wouldn't want to forget about the sleeping just because it seemed so normal. And then enervate at the voice of Susan Bones as Hannah as Hermione's eyes flew open, her her lips drew drew it in air with a gasp her lungs feeling heavy like there's a huge weight resting on her chest and then you know again just another another bully encounter here there's a lot of bullying going on at this school i know right um and then then you cut back to just the normal like again whatever this this literary device is called but then you cut back to the non-italics text and you wouldn't want to forget about magic either even if the actual moment of casting a spell only formed a very small part of your day it was the whole point of hogwarts after all (laughs) and then you get another italics cut Okay, what if we all ride on skateboards? We could get to places faster than walking, and we'd look really cool on skateboards. Muggle artifacts may not be as fast as broomsticks, but they look cooler. We should vote on it. We should vote on it. <laughs> and also like how they like muggle stuff is cool to wizards. Right. Skateboards yeah, is skateboards. Uh, funny funny way to get around. I'm surprised it's I'm not, not used skate- more often. I don't know how well skateboards and wizard ropes would work. And there's so many stairs in Hogwarts, too. Unless you get really good at skateboards and want to, magic what do you call it? When you can grind just like, on a handrail. On a handrail. Oh god, I don't know any of that. Yeah, I did play the Tony Hawk Pro Skate Two back in the old days of PlayStation Two. Uh, might just be called grinding. I think that's the name of the skateboard move. Anyway, I used to live right near Tony Hawk's High School, Oceanside, California. Oh, that's hilarious. That's awesome. Anyway, so then uh, there's this uh, this other italicized moment from the you know whatever this is doing right the back and forth sort of thing between like intense stuff and then back to regular stuff and this one's a non-fight but a bully encounter and it's uh she gets knocked down and her book falls out of her hands and for some reason it's hogwarts history even though i think she's read it like three times by (laughs) this point and um then the older gryffindor the older gryffindor which walked away without looking back only whispered uh, Salazar's, and then it cuts off. Yeah. A word that hurt more than anything Slytherin said about mudbloods. Mudblood was just a strange wizarding word, but Hermione knew what the Gryffindor had just said. Um, I'm guessing, like you pulled out uh, too, yeah. probably Salazar's slut or Salazar's bitch. Yeah, would, it made me think like how that, like if it was just, it, it's like it's a better fit if it was just Salazar's bitch because that just sort of makes more sense. But f- for me, like the, like, and Salazar's slut doesn't really like kind of i guess i mean it's just a generic insult that kind of works but like slut would feel like a lot worse and insulting or bitch just i guess maybe just because it's like overused um but it feels like maybe like it was bitch and i guess also to a 12 year old that would suck to hear about yeah slut, maybe slut like, also alliterates i'm gonna go with that so it sounded worse like like oh that fit better as the like oh if that was gonna you know 
the description of like the effect that had on Hermione um, fit better. But I get I just didn't because there's not no sort of like sexual connotation to like them getting tips from Salazar's ghost. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, I was sort of like, and it's and actually put like a little more effective to not actually say the word, um, sort of like the, like the depressing, hurtful, you know, it, it was kind of like brought in, you know, bullying more in a more real way than rather just kind of this abstract concept of bullying. It was like, oh, there's like actual like nasty, mean shit said in like non PG 13 ways. Yeah. If it didn't even include it. Yeah. Um, you know, Hermione's mind just censored the the yeah. awful word. Um, then the last one of note here is like Hermione talking with Harry and he's like, you know, I can't be certain, but you know, and he goes off for all the reasons why he can't be certain. Yeah. But then he says, all I can say is that based on what I've seen of Malfoy, it's a lot more plausible than Daphne Greengrass thinks that he's, that he's actually is trying to show the Slytherins a better way. And we should, we really should go try to go along with that Hermione. And I like that. Yeah. And then I like Hermione's next thing. She says, well, Harry seemed to think Draco Malfoy was a good guy. But the trouble was that Harry also trusted people like Professor Quirrell. <laughs> Valid point. Um, and then we go a little so bit yeah. later. We kind of cut to Harry talking to Quirrell. Um, Immediately after that, actually. Yeah. And like Harry's kind of main, the main thrust of Harry wanting to talk to him is, um, which is, again, like, why are you talking to Quirrell about like, why do you think Quirrell is the person that's going to help you with this? But um, he's saying that he's worried about basically how the extent to which Hermione is making enemies, um, both, you know, in and out of mostly with Slytherin, but um, just in general, that the, the bully campaign uh, is endangering her. Um, and Quirrell is both like, why should I give a shit? Um, which like in the back of my head too, is like, oh, and you know, Hermione's really on his shit list. So it's more, he's actually probably super cool with it. Um, but, but then he does again, and I'm not sure how much like this is me sort of like inserting my interpretation into it, but he kind of does his, like, for me, what is now getting tired, um, version of like, well, isn't it obvious? And if you were as smart as me, you would already know version of, uh, well, so the, the quote I pulled was, um, cause he's saying like, basically, you know, you should have known that she was going to be making enemies in Slytherin. Uh, when you are experienced, Mr. Potter, you will see such consequences in advance of your plotting. As it stands, you are being ill-served by your willful ignorance of all human nature you deem unpleasant. Um, so this is, I mean, this is both his like, oh, you know, isn't it obvious because I'm smarter than all of you? Um, uh, and the kind of like the the lazy cynicism thing of, well, you know, and all people are shitty. It should have been obvious to you that all people are shitty. Um, and like my... Oh yeah. So my, my first thought about it was like the whole, the whole idea of like, Oh, it should have been obvious to you after the fact is the, I think like a kind of a explicit call out to like that, how uh, not rationalist that is of uh quarrel engaging in a lazy hindsight bias around like, Oh, you can call it obvious after the fact you ask that. But, um, but then he can, fe- he can feign his genius by saying, yeah. of course I saw this coming. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and that'll kind of work on people. Uh, yeah, I guess he would be exploiting other people's hindsight bias. You're like, oh right. yeah, that so should have been obvious. That that's um, the sort of like dark side yeah. technique of like you can use you can use these you can use your knowledge of human fallibility to make yourself seem yeah. above it, yeah. right? Um, um, now it's entirely yeah. Except yeah, like my, my read of this though is that he's sort of like that it's not entirely a manipulation. That he kind of just bullet, like he's bought his own 
publicity that he he does think he's that awesome uh, and that he's not telling himself like oh i just figured this out after the fact he's pretending that he knew it all along especially since yeah. it kind of like falls under this like sort of vague like he can just file that all under his like super ambiguous definition of all people suck yeah. <laughs> i'm gonna i'll give Crow the benefit of the doubt and just assume that he did see that that he did see it coming because um, when Harry Harry sips his tea and then he says, Professor Quirrell, help? And he says, I already offered Miss Granger my help as soon as I foresaw what would develop. My student told me in polite terms to stay out of her business. <laughs> and so, like, if he didn't see this coming, he wouldn't. Uh, it would have been weird for him to offer Hermione help. And it would also be weird for him to lie to Harry about this because Harry could just ask Hermione, hey, did Quirrell offer to help yeah. you with this? So maybe he did yeah. see it coming. Well, I, I, don't know, I guess, yeah, I guess my read of that was like, oh, as the trouble started coming up, he offered to... You know, he was like, oh, hey, do you want my help? Um, so I guess, yeah, I get, I didn't read that as so much of like, oh, like his perceptiveness of what was going on. It was just kind of more of him reacting to the situation as it was arising. Um, and Quirrell's exactly the kind of person who would capitalize on the ambu- ambiguity there yeah. to make himself seem the best possible, yeah. right? Yeah. And I get like my the kind of my bigger takeaway from this whole thing is and I, I guess I would ask you, though, like if you're getting the same impression for me this especially because it seems like it's it's turning into this like one note cliche from him of all people suck and i'm super smart and isn't it obvious like oh that should have been obvious to you like to me this is now playing as he keeps just like it's the same act and it's getting old and not in a like oh this is shitty writing and i'm getting tired of it but more in a like to me this feels like quirrell slipping um, and where is this going? Like, um, and so this is again, like, and I think I said this in our last episode, but that this feels like, again, this kind of, because it also seemed like, and, and like right before Quirrell saying this, Harry's like, oh, come on, you already know, like Harry's kind of already kind of throwing things back at him. Um, so to me, this feels like sort of on this path of like Quirrell's deflating a little bit. And like, we're starting to see some of his kind of not literal power, but just kind of his like power of personality starting to like crack. Um, I like that interpretation. Does I, it, yeah, I guess. So of, I was yes. Does that feel like, even if you're not going to think of it like that as the interpretation, does, does it seem to you like this whole act he put is putting on is becoming less effective or am I just kind of reading that into it? Um, I'm getting that we're just, I'm not sure if it was like, I think it's about as effective as it's always been, yeah. but I think you're right. It's the one note thing. Where yeah, it's like he hasn't upped his game on any of it. It's just kind of the same thing again. Right. That's that's what I'm seeing is that you know we now have from Quirrell's you know own mouth that his his whole thesis on humanity is that everyone sucks and everyone's an asshole. So that gives him license to never be nice and always yeah. be an asshole. And and so he doesn't ever just, like go after any sort of imaginative like argument in favor of it. He just goes after all the lazy stuff of just pointing out any particular shortcoming of anything is just reinforcement of all people suck. Right. Which all you really are doing for is that I've met that people who operate this way. Yeah. And I, mean, I you know, it's not like easy. Like I, I think we all operate this way on occasion. <laughs> because it's just <laughs> like I mean, it's so easy. I try not to let this be my guiding philosophy yeah. the way Quirrell does. Um, but I, I've met people, you know, who. who have it in their mind that, oh no, everyone's shit. So therefore I can be a shit person, yeah. everybody, because yeah. they would get me first. And when you do that, it gives you this like license to never have to worry to try and do the right mm-hmm. thing or the nice thing because you've talked yourself into believing that everyone else is going to be just as, as rude yeah. and cutthroat as you are. And people will act shitty in response to your shittiness and you can just file that as well under, you know, see, I told you everybody's shitty. Confirmation bias, yes. right? Yeah. 
much. And then you'll you'll only look for, and then of course everything that does seem to contradict it, you'll say, oh, that person is just pretending to get laid or something, yeah. right? They're trying to get they're trying to get yeah. nice points, so they're gonna just they're gonna act like they're not being shitty. But trust me, they're really shitty underneath. Yeah, that's, yeah, and that's what he, yeah, thing. and that's what he said about Hermione. Yeah, right. So I wonder. Yeah, maybe it's not, or it could be both. Or maybe I'm keying off of it because it seems like it's working less. Like. Um, so maybe it's not so much that like Quirrell's getting weaker, but that Harry's getting stronger, but like this, this shit used to have a much bigger effect on Harry and it's seeming to, it still kind of does, but it's, it's not as, I mean, if it had no effect on him anymore, it would occur to Harry that, um, Quirrell is not at all a helpful person to be coming to with this problem. Um, but Harry doesn't seem to just be like, oh, you're so smart. I think Harry's probably thinking that. If I'm going to ask an adult in the in the in Hogwarts to help me, you know, help my friends through non-conventional means, because like he's not going to go ask P- Professor McGonagall, be like, "Can yeah. you help with the bully problem?" Because she just like give people detentions yeah. or tell Hermione that she has to stop. So he's like, "All right, I need some like actual assistance here with what I want, not with like a way just to shut this down." Yeah. And so Quirrell would be his go-to for that. Dumbledore yeah. might have been actually another good candidate to like ask, like, "Hey, how do well, yeah, we make he this like, suck less?" Yeah, so Dumbledore. I mean, Quirrell would be his go-to, not a good one, but he doesn't have a good one because, like, the only other one, like, yeah, you could go to Dumbledore, but, like, Dumbledore only sees Harry as a character in a play, um, and so he wouldn't, it wouldn't be real help, it would all just be filtered through Dumbledore being like, okay, how is the play supposed to go from here, and then what would the advice be? <laughs> yeah, and, you know, Dumbledore hasn't shown himself to be, like, the same kind of reliable, I yeah. guess. So like I think he he can kind of guess what he would get he can anticipate what he would get from Professor Quirrell. Yeah. Well, he's hoping to get like actual help here, where with Dumbledore is just a total wild card. Yeah, yeah. I do like how Quirrell ends this though. He says, "Do not worry too much, Mister Potter. Emotions run high around Miss Granger, but she's in less danger than you might imagine. When you are older, you will learn that the first and foremost thing which any ordinary person does is nothing." <laughs> I like that one. Yeah. Oh, and actually saying that again, like his the way he's saying that. Oh, when you're older, because I think we've like we've explicitly gotten that not just from Harry but from other characters of like the 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 oh when you're older argument is lame and irritating. So yeah, and dropping that in sort of like adds to that vibe. And apparently, uh, yeah, no, I agree. I was I was looking at the next section here, but yeah, it it moves into that, and he gets to keep playing the whole like you know. Oh, when you're as old and as wise as I am, you'll agree mm-hmm. with everything I'm saying. Um, anyway, so it cuts to, uh, let's see, who is it? Um, Daphne. And she gets a lunch that just, or she gets a note at lunch that just says hard. Yeah. And apparently they've got a battle coming up where their informant had warned them that they'll be targeting Hufflepuffs in particular. And so um, they were asking Hannah and Susan to sit this one out. And Hannah had agreed, but Susan, and then it cuts to the, like the section where apparently they're actually going to fight the bully where Susan just shows up. And, uh, this is where he pulled out that thing where, um, or yeah, right around here is where she yeah. says, Oh, you know, people, people don't always act like themselves or something. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, Cause I think it was like Hermione said, you're like, Oh, this isn't like you or something like that. Right. Yeah. It's not like me. I know, but she shrugged. People yeah. don't always behave like themselves, you know, which is, yeah, I didn't, I didn't even catch that mm-hmm. knowing all this time that this was Tonks. Um, that that's her just kind of like, oh, I'm, yeah, if I'm not even like Susan, well, people don't always act like Susan, do they? Yeah. Uh, just ignore that. Um, and then we so, have a really cool-ass fight scene. So cool. So they, they try and beg with Susan to leave, and I actually like this part a lot, too. Um, she says, Daphne, run, go get a teacher, which, hey, really smart idea. Mm-hmm. 
And so Daphne goes to go leave. And then she's like, wait, I can't because she's got this in her head that, you know, she defies that the makes it worse. seer's yeah. future. Then, yeah, that makes it worse. And then Hermione's just like, what? And she's like, I think it gets worse if you try and fight it. And then Hermione's like, I, I get the impression that she did like just did some, you know, fast footed thinking. And she's like trying to think of arguing. And then she's just like, fuck arguing. Padma, go. <laughs> and Padma runs off without a word. And I love that. Um, and then the bully show up, or Hermione, or uh, excuse me, Susan just says, uh, like, nonchalantly, bullies are here. Huh. They've got a hostage. And then, oh, yeah, and really, they, like, okay, and that's not Susan saying that. That's Tonks, which is like a way more Tonksy vibe to it. Like, huh, they've right. got a hostage. Oh, none of these are the Caros. Yeah. Um, the Caros, I think, are, they, they were mentioned before. They're like in Slytherin some year. Yeah. But yeah, so we've got three older bullies. And they've already got shield charms and multi-layer shields that makes it seem like they're serious duelists. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently they have supported by ropes, Hannah Abbott, who they're apparently already caught and are ready to torture, which is very sad. Um, <laughs> it is. That sucks. That's the one that, you know, Hermione was most worried about, right? Oh, and she's the one that was like, yeah. oh, because I'm trying to impress boys. Oh, yeah, that boy. too. Yeah. And then uh, Hannah tries to get them to run, but they can't because there's a barrier behind them now. And uh, Lee, so like I guess we'll we'll name them. We've got uh, Lee, Reese Belka, and Robert Jugson the <laughs> third. And Robert Jugson's dad is uh, almost certainly a Death Eater, according to the text. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then he goes. Uh, Jugson goes for that Cluthy, that muscle spasm spell. And then Susan does a prismatis sh- uh, shield spell, but she does it like in this tight little condensed ball. Oh yeah, we're seeing, yeah than... we see like a, like oh it didn't occur to me that. <laughs> Oh, and this is because, yeah, because at this point, like reading it, we still we don't know that this is Tonks. So, yeah, this is Susan doing like this new technique that hadn't occurred to anybody because she's not Susan. But still plausibly child yeah. ability magic. So, clearly. yeah, I did. Yeah, I didn't uh, on the first read that didn't like ping on me at all. That like, oh, that's out of place. It was just like, oh, that's cool. I know, right? It's mm-hmm. tight. Um, so apparently tight. they're going to the plan is to uh, beat them and then quote play according to belka mm-hmm. and hermione says please let them go and i promise i'll and he's like oh really what are you about to offer to turn yourself over if we let the others go we've already got all of you and then i like this because jugson's just a piece of shit it could be funny how about if you lick my shoes mm-hmm. mudblood and one of your friends can go pick whichever one you like the most and let the and leave the others to get hurt and then susan steps in front of them and says nope not gonna happen and then let's see oh yeah this is awesome oh man um so i'm trying to get through this in order without just rereading it all at once um they cast a spell at her and uh i think two prismatic shields block it and then uh they do like they do a pretty good job like they still get their ass kicked but like they, we see them doing like a coordinated, like intelligent effort. Like they, they know what they're doing. It's just not good enough. Right. Well, the move that I really like the most here in this altercation is, uh, like, uh, Susan's about to get hit with a spell. She casts a prismatis, or she tries to, but then, and this is like the clue that she wasn't actually knocked out. The three blasts of light slam into Susan, and uh, she raised her her wand as though to counter, and there was a flash as the hex struck. But then she, her legs convulse and she goes flying into a wall. Mm-hmm. So like we know that she actually blocked it because she's Tonks, but she's pretending that she, like she didn't. And then also because she's Tonks, she like broke her neck when she hit the wall. And then she's laying there with her head at an odd angle. Oh, I didn't pick up and, on that. I just thought it was like, oh. oh. 
I, I guess I'm not, I, maybe I'm reading into it, but that's how I read it. Because it says that her neck's at an odd angle, and I'm assuming that Tonks can just do that because she's a metamorph magus, and she can probably twist into all whatever kind of form and not be dead. Oh, uh, I guess, um, yeah, I guess I didn't see that. I guess it would. I guess I just sort of saw, like, her powers just sort of, like, going from, like, discrete thing to other discrete thing and not being sort of like a, you know, arbitrary blob that can do anything. It was just sort of like, oh, I can look like one thing and then I can look like another but yeah, I guess it, it might be that I'm not, I don't really know how metamorph may guy work. Um, um, but I do like this where, so then, uh, Parvati goes back to where Susan is, presses a thumb over her pulse. And then slowly, tremblingly, Parvati rose to her feet, her eyes huge. And <laughs> like, then the guy, one of the bullies does a Vitalis Rovelio and then Susan's body glows. So I guess that means that she's alive. Right. And he's like, probably just not broken collarbone. Nice try though. And Merlin, they are tricky. You had me going there for a second, dearies. The seventh year girl wasn't smiling at all. And I just, I love that because like this, what quick thinking she's going to go over and like, oh, I'll pretend like they fucking murdered her. And then that'll get them to back off. Like that, that's some really quick on your feet thinking. I guess probably that is probably why in my head, I didn't think that it was like, oh, maybe she's dead. Although, yeah, I guess it was supposed to look like she was. Yeah. She was pretending to be at least seriously, seriously Uh, hurt. And then Daphne's trying to cast her, a lightsaber spell and gets knocked out before she even can even get it going. Mm-hmm. And then Hermione gets innervated at some point and it had just apparently been just like a few seconds. Yeah. Um, everyone else is down and uh, Hermione smartly didn't like roll over and jump to her feet. Mm-hmm. She was just going to play dead for a second. And then this is the, the super awesome part where the bullies think everyone's unconscious and they're like, now what? Now we wake up with the mud blood and find out who's really behind them. Not solid or Slytherin's ghost. And then, no, dear, said the, the scary sweet girl. First, we bind <laughs> them very sweet. securely. And then there's a sound like lightning and thunder. And Hermione's eyes widened in shock before she could stop herself. And her widened field of vision, she saw the scary soft boy <laughs> convulsing scary as yellow arcs of energy crawled over him like blazing worms. His wand flew out of his hand as he collapsed to the ground, twitching. And then a moment later, he lay still. So basically, he's struck, she's, or the bully is struck by Thor himself. <laughs> and. I, that, that's, that's Have you read the comic with female Thor? It's pretty it's dope ass, awesome. I am. Uh, I'm familiar. It's tight. It's good. It's Unfortunately, there, there's no hammer in this scene, but should be though. Um, there should be. Uh, I but, really, as we're reading this, like not a fully formed thought, but uh, but specifically, I'm like, wait, is she Captain Marvel? <laughs> <laughs> like I did have there was that specific thought. I'm like, is she Captain? It wasn't a wasn't formed enough for me to take it seriously, but. No, she's just worthy Jane. That's how she shot lightning at her or at the bully. But when I hear, you know, lightning and thunder and then seeing someone get struck by lightning, I, I picture Thor hitting somebody. So um, she Thors the fuck out of the first dude. <laughs> and then she gets up and like, is everyone else asleep now? Good. Susan Bones rose from the floor where near where the scary soft boy had stood. His neck still, or her neck still oddly bent. Oh, yeah, and I then think she, you're right then. She, she rolled her head around her shoulders, a casual loose motion, and her head was straight again. Which, like, that just is like some that ghost was, movie shit, I guess, right? Yeah, and I guess you when rise I rise yeah, to your feet slowly, yeah, your head the, broken, and yeah, I guess yep. I, yeah, right. I read that being more sort of like the having just watched Matrix again, like that Agent Smith thing we does, where he just sort of like sort of like cracking his knuckles, but with his neck. I guess that's how I yeah. interpreted it the first time. It was definitely badass, though. So badass, this whole thing, yeah, and then it, cool they, they, the bullies suspect that it's polyjuice, which makes sense, but then. They do polyfluous reverso and 
she doesn't like block the spell or anything and it just goes over her you know yeah. without anything happening and so i think this is the point says, this is the one i'm like oh well maybe she really is then like maybe she's captain marvel <laughs> so, yeah where i'm like oh, okay so she's not so that yeah so i'm thinking it's like oh she really is susan bones then how the hell does that work i also like how the when the heroines all wake up they have their own kind of like similar conclusion that she's captain marvel they're like oh yeah. she's a double witch double. Where, <laughs> because is that even a thing I think they, it's just a thing made up for yeah, this. But the best thing about witch. going to school in Hogwarts is that any insane-sounding uh-huh. bullshit could well be true. <laughs> double witch. She's oh, a, and then she's of course a triple she has, witch. She's a double she, blue witch. That's right. Then she has the most badass line, which is, "And this is the truth." In case no one ever told you, her small hand rose. Her small hand and wand rose up, blurred by the blue haze surrounding it. You don't mess with the puffs. The puffs. <laughs> did you think Powerpuff Girls did that like ping in your head when you read that? Uh, it didn't ping like, Powerpuff Girls, but it does now. I just think it's like it's, it's hilarious because it like, it's not a very badass sounding uh-huh. thing, but it is when the it next works. thing is. And then the real battle started. It went on for a while. Some of the ceiling got melted. <laughs> and apparently uh, Susan had fucked all of them up. And then, uh, then what, how many of the fellow witches are looking up at them? Or handful of them are already awake. I think yeah. Lavender and uh, Tracy and Hermione are all, and Parvati are all already awake. Yeah, and she's like, oh shit, could you pretend you didn't see this? And they look at each other and kind of just shake their heads. And she's like, okay, well, I'll be back in a few minutes, but I've really got to go, so don't say anything. Bye. And just runs away. <laughs> yeah, and then we see like, like when she does, when she meets the real Susan Bones, she's like, I didn't have time to think of anything good, so you're going to have to think up something real quick. I just right. left and that's when they're they're theorizing about uh double witches mm-hmm. and all this and that uh i know i just kind of like dominated a lot of this chapter by reading all of it but it's it was surprisingly short and like all of it was so quote which is cool yeah um yeah so sorry if i was talking over you a bit i know when i'm talking too much and my throat gets dry so <laughs> at the end of it uh professor flitwick shows up and he's just screaming like what's going on here and then we get the line breaks. So that's where and then yeah, they, it comes back to Susan talking to Tonks. Nymphadora Tonks. But, um, yeah, what she, yeah, she says, sorry, but I couldn't think of anything myself. So you've got about three minutes to decide on an answer. <laughs> <laughs> so what is it after that? Um, it opens back with uh, Daphne. Uh, there, She's like, oh, yeah, the smart thing about the whole you know, house points thing was fine, but it didn't work on detentions. So we, all, we can all still get detentions. So um, then Hermione is telling Harry about it. And she's like and, at dinner. Yeah, at dinner with Harry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I like this. She's smashing her chocolate cake yeah. into a seamless mush of cake and icing, which makes me remember that I haven't had lunch yet. And cake sounds really good right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. And so she's saying like, oh, yeah. And Flitwick chewed me out. He's like, yeah. And so I told him I was getting out of hand. And the, like, I could totally picture this like Flitwick like little uh, tiny Flitwick losing his shit. Really, Miss Granger? Do you think? <laughs> and it squeaked so loud that my ears caught on fire. I mean, my ears actually caught on fire. <laughs> I like that too. Because he's like, oh, it's magic. Yeah, maybe literally. Maybe when Flitwick loses his shit, he accidentally sets people's ears on fire. Um, but that, yeah, and then we get kind of this nice conversation where Harry, like, uh, he says, excuse me. Anyway. I don't know, but so he's like, I basically like, I don't want to insult you, but are you sure that you, like this hero thing is cool? Um, like, are you okay with it? Does this feel like this is a good idea for you? Um, and I like that it was like, again, 
like it felt like a very sincere sort of like trying not to talk down to her um not trying like like being sort of transparent like, like hey i'm not talking down to you but like is this a good idea like just as your friend not as like a oh are you cool enough to be a hero too like is this okay for you um yeah because th- these ones were quite seriously like yeah. not going to just like knock her out and be like aha we defeated the heroines yeah. but they were gonna you know yeah and i guess yeah and to some extent it's sort of like the like see like now you see this like this is the shit i was like telling you about but but now you're really going through it too and are you sure you're okay with this because it's not cool like i said like i told you it's not cool um and i like hermione's response to that is just sort of like you know do you like do you sometimes like if all this just gets too hard do you sometimes just wish like basically that none of this ever happened to you do you wish you were you know still a muggle or just that you were a muggle um, and Harry gives a very sort of like Harry response, but not incompatible with new Harry, but also a, an old Harry response. And he does, he's like, when I try to take over the world someday, I mean, optimize the world. Um, <laughs> but he does give this like, you know, valid before and still valid now. The um, like, no, being a wizard gives you a lot more options. And I would still be trying to do all the things I'm trying to do now, but I just wouldn't have any wizard powers to help me. So no, I don't wish I was a muggle. Um then he's like, well, why do you ask? Do you wish you're back yeah. in the muggle world? And she says, not exactly, as she cr- crunched into both the carrot and the chocolate, <laughs> which, again, as hungry as I am, doesn't sound half bad. Chocolate carrot. Yeah. Mm. She's like, I was just thinking, well, I've all, you know, I've, excuse me, I was just, well, feeling strange about having wanted to be a witch. Did you want to be a wizard in your little? Of course. I wanted psychic powers and super strength and adamantium reinforced bones. Hey, <laughs> high five. Yes. In my own flying castle, and sometimes I felt sad that I might just have to settle for being a famous scientist and astronaut. <laughs> he got points with the adamantium reference. One one right. brownie points with me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was weird. Uh, this ending was puzzling. Not bad, but it was puzzling to me. Well, I don't know. Let's see if you got the same vibe from it. Um, so Hermione says, yeah, I don't think witches and wizards who grow up here don't really appreciate magic properly. Um and to me, like Harry's response here, and this is the last paragraph of the chapter, felt very quarrel. Um, not necessarily, not like malice to it, but well, so I'll just read it. Well, of course they don't, Harry said. That's what gives us our advantage. Isn't that obvious? That was the big thing that was like, oh, isn't that obvious? Um, I mean, seriously, that was bloody obvious to me within five minutes of walking into Diagon Alley. There was a puzzled look on the boy's face, like he couldn't understand why she was paying attention to something so ordinary. Did that seem to me that was like it had the it didn't have like sort of the level of kind of malice to it, but especially because that phrase of like isn't it obvious, but and then he's saying like, oh, why is she thinking about, you know, something so ordinary? Like it was like he suddenly reverted back to this sort of like, you know, chest puffy condescending thing. Even immediate maybe I'm just reading too much and I don't think so though. Like it's it seemed like a sudden about face. Um I don't know, did it I mean, did it read that way to you or did it I see what you're saying. I think, especially with the line, isn't that obvious? Yeah. It sounds like a very quirly thing to say. But yeah. Why is she paying attention to something so ordinary? Like, it seems like it's going out of its way, not too over the top, but just kind of, yeah, to make it, that, that sounds condescending in a way that, like, doesn't seem just like a chance of phrasing. I think it's like, I mean, well, first of all, he's absolutely right. that, And so, so is Hermione, that w- witches and wizards who grew up here don't yeah. appreciate magic properly, right? Like, to them, it's just a fact of life that you can conjure whatever the fuck you want. You can clean the air. You don't need electricity. You can do, uh, I mean, they live longer. They have magical healing spells. Like, they have so many problems that are solved for them that they don't 
step out of the shoes to realize like, wait a minute, what if we couldn't do this stuff? Like literally no one asks themselves that question. And it's a lot like now where you and I have to like take a minute of reflection to appreciate how fucking amazing our lives are. Even like the average person of modest income in the developed world lives a life now better than any king did, you know, five centuries ago. You well, know, yeah, we, but we my can refrigerate food, we can we can prepare meals that are that can be preserved for a long time. We can adjust the temperature in our in our dwellings, which are solid enough to keep bugs out. Like, but my OS ten upgrade doesn't support thirty two bit software anymore. Yeah, that's true. I, so that you know, you throw that back in, where we might as well be in the dark ages. Seriously, I can't. Fucking I max. literally can't even. Um, but 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 just that, like so yeah, I mean it's totally valid as a thing, but the the phrasing and the reaction to it. I mean, there's a choice there for how that could go through. And it seemed, especially in the way, because that, the immediate interaction you just had with her was such a big opportunity to, again, be condescending and shitty. And he's sort of very conspicuously being very sort of compassionate and humble about it. Um, And then this, so, and like, this is sort of the opposite, like a, you know, an opportunity to not be like that at all. And, which I mean wouldn't even necessarily call for kind of that level of condescending. It just seemed like it was a it was an abrupt change in tone about it, which seemed weird. Especially and as we're just like talking through this, and I'm like staring at this paragraph as we're talking about it, something like that isn't that obvious as a single lone sentence. Seems like it's such a strong call out to how Coral talks. It seems like I put my money on that that this is not an accident. So maybe I and, I guess maybe like. If I'm in Harry's shoes, maybe this is something that, again, he had already thought, and he, he yeah. assumed that she had, like that Hermione had had the same thought on her first day too, and so maybe he's just like, wait, it's like March, isn't it? Like, how are you just thinking this now? Which, yeah, it's not like our nice new Harry to to say that, but maybe yeah. he's just kind of flabbergasted that, like, what do you mean? Of course, yeah, they don't they don't appreciate at all what they've got. Yeah, yeah I mean, there's like a lot. There's you know, lots of natural ways that there, lots of natural responses to this, and like this is a choice of how this goes could like a, a another perfectly normal response to be like yeah you're right yeah they really don't and just sort of like leaving it there or yeah i thought about that too like so it's it's like a very kind of specific choice it's, it, this also feels like now it doesn't feel like it's a a natural reaction but like that's a choice to be made for his his response to that being sort of like i can't believe you think that like oh everybody should know that and why are you thinking about some something so obvious I don't know. Yeah, no, I see what you're saying. I and it stuck out. I think that yeah, I think that was that was the the big part of it was that that it was such a a change in tone. Yeah, I think it it fits with him not being condescending, but it can come off that way. Yeah, yeah, and it's sort of like that's been Yukowski's style is to end these chapters with like a a, like a change in tone like that, like a because that's like a little mini cliffhanger. Because and as we're talking about, like my takeaway at the end of that was well, what is this about? And then wondering it, you know, in the next chapter. So that would sort of fit with kind of Yudkowsky style of how he's, how he has these chapters flow into each other. Like that will be a nugget that he works with on the next one. Mm. It could well be. Speaking of the next one, next uh, week we're going to be covering one. chapter 74, which is one of the top five chapters, in my humble opinion. Of the All book. right then. And chapter 75, which is also awesome, but lacks the moment that 74 has, which I think we'll both enjoy. So, You know, what you lack in intros, you make up for in segues. 
I <laughs> guess that's a talent. I don't know. Oh, so now you're you know, you really you hope you're not overselling the next chapter. Raise, I don't think I am, but I, I look forward to you. You let me know if I ever sold it. Maybe I'll have to. I'll have to. Maybe I'll just. I can, I can read it now. It's not reading ahead anymore. Maybe I'll just read it right after this. Hell yes. Okay. Yeah, you can. Even, I mean, we don't have to. You know, we we need to have all this. Just I'll read it live, and we'll. Re- yeah. yeah. Perfect. It's only fifteen thousand words for the next assigned yes. reading. So. Harry walked forward a step, then another step, until a sense of unease began to pervade him. A disquiet. Hey, not so nerves. fast. You can read it, but we don't want to spoil it for our friends who uh, haven't, haven't read there yet. So, All right, we'll jump on to 74 and 75 next week, same time, same place, for more Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality fan fiction analysis brought to you by Doof Media, which I forgot to mention. So, I mentioned them this time. You did? Yeah, mostly that they were cool about me being really bad at Left 4 Dead 2. Oh, that's right. Well, I forgot to mention we're, we're in the Doof Media network, so check out all their cool stuff. You can find it at doofmedia.com and on Patreon uh, at patreon.com slash doofmedia. Nice. All right. That's a wrap. That's a wrap. See you next time.